Hi, this is Jalen for Dobbs, where tire buying is easy. At GoToDobbs.com, shop brands, sizes, pricing, and our amazing deals. With 40-plus locations, get same-day install. For tires, it's Dobbs. For deals you can use, click on GoToDobbs.com now. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. This is the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Guess what day it is. It's Friday, Friday. Gotta get down on Friday. Everybody's looking forward to the weekend, weekend Friday. Good Friday. morning, everyone. Happy Friday, happy weekend from the Opening Drive on 101 ESPN with Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis and Matthew Rocchio. I'm Randy Carricker. It's great to have you with us until 10 o'clock. We'll talk to Bradley Carnell, the head coach of St. Louis City SC, in just a few moments. Jay Delsing as well. Our Friday visit with Joe Vitale. And then in the 9 o'clock hour, Greg Amzinger, MLB Network, is going to be in studio. Good morning, Kerry Davis. How are you doing? I'm doing well, sir. How are you? I'm doing good. Okay, it is January 20th. Okay. Do you get, at this time of year, even though you've been out of pro football for a long time, do you kind of get the the AFC Championship game, Super Bowl feel going at all at this time of year? Still not next week. Uh huh. Next okay. week, you, I'll, I'll feel that that vibe because you know what's what's on the line. This week is um obviously it's important. You got to win this week to make it to next yeah, week, right? But it's not really until next week where you know it's real. And and you're one step away from playing in the Super Bowl, and then you're one step away from being a Super Bowl champion. So it, yeah, and next week I'll, I'll have that kind of those, those vibes and chills, and and be really excited for for what is at stake. Do you remember the date that you won the Super Bowl? February second, first, first. So now we know. Two thousand radio. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Pretty cool. Uh, but so so the reason why why this weekend is important, but it's not as important, the days that are important are the days where you get T-shirts and hats. Oh, yeah. So yeah. when you can get a T-shirt and a hat, mm-hmm. whether it's winning the division, winning the AFC or NFC championship game, winning the Super Bowl, those are the games where you're like, oh, yeah, that one, that one, mm-hmm. that one means something. So that's yeah. a good way to look at it. Yeah, yeah. Hats and T-shirts. Yeah. We play for hats and T-shirts, Randy. <laughs> <laughs> Give us a hat. Give us a T-shirt. We'll play as hard as we can. Uh, speaking of that, Kerry Davis, the Blues got hats and T-shirts back in 2019. Mm-hmm. On this very date in 2019, your St. Louis Blues were out of a playoff spot by four points. It was January 20th of 2019. The Blues were 21, 21, and five for 47 points, and they trailed both Anaheim and Minnesota in the standings. As you wake up this morning, your St. Louis Blues are 23-20-3 for 49 points, two more points, and they're two points out of a playoff spot. They have a better record and are Mm -hmm. closer to the playoffs today than they were four years ago today. 
So what are you saying, Randy? I'm just saying you never know. You, ne- you never know. Last night was impressive, a 5-2 victory for the St. Louis Blues. Uh, you get to the second period after a scoreless first, and just 11 seconds into the second, what happens? Shin brings it in, shoots, score! Streak over, 1-0 Blues, 19.49 to go, second period of play. Braden Shin is 11th of the year. You talk about an icebreaker. I kind of felt like that was an icebreaker. Yeah, get him going, get it going in the right direction, get it started earlier. Randy, when I'm watching those guys play last night, the energy and effort is what stood out to me. And it, it something kind of, you know, you know, in the cartoons when the light bulb flashes mm-hmm. over the, the cartoon, yeah. <laughs> the character's head, I had an epiphany. The light bulb went off. This team can play in this manner. They can be physical. They can play with speed. Do they want to do it every single night? And and we're, we're talking about a roller coaster of a team. That generally happens when you are a young team and trying to figure out how to do it every single night. When you're young and just getting into the league or, or young and, and, and young in your NHL career, you've probably, and a star and a very good player, you've probably been the best player your entire life. And it's probably come very easy to you. And so... When you get to the NHL, you realize NFL, NBA, Major League Baseball, you realize, oh, these guys are good, too. These guys were also the best players their entire lives. I can't have days or games where I'm not giving all effort all the time because when I do, we can win. When I don't, we're losing and we don't look very good. We used to have a football coach in St. Louis, Gene Stallings of the the football Cardinals, now the Arizona Cardinals, who used to tell us, the first eight games are jockeying for position. He used the first <laughs> half of the season to jockey for position. Mm-hmm. Then you, you turn it on in the second half. Here we are heading into the second half. I wonder if there is something to that with Craig Berube. Now, granted, 18-19, they fired the coach. It was a different situation. But you played on team. Sometimes you just have to figure out who you are for a time. Yeah, they, they are still figuring that out. But I think... The key component for this team is effort and energy. Bingo, yeah. If you play with that effort and energy every single night, you will have games that look like that. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you're going to be exhausted, clearly, but <laughs> you have to do it. Yep. Colton Sisson scores for Nashville to tie it at the 236 mark, but then at 830, here come the Blues. The Blues back to center. Saad trying to get in on Janot. Drives the middle of the ice, tucks it in and scores! What a backhand move by Brandon Saad. Blues regain the lead. 11.30 to go in the second. It's 2-1 to one, St. Louis. Now Pitlick and Tucker assisted on that goal, but Kairou was on the bench and was taking note. Kairou comes off the wall with it, returns to the hash marks. Thomas again to Kairou, moves it in front. He scores! A beauty of a backhand under the bar by Kairou. Power play goal, 3-1 Blues lead. 26 to play, second period. That goal was beautiful. It was unbelievable. And, and it was beautiful because it was really uh, just a two-man game between him and Thomas going back and forth, and then he slid a, a, a above the line right in front of the goalie and shot at top shelf. That was a an, an, a fantastic play by those two and a fantastic shot by Kairou. Those are, that's what he can give you, and 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 that, that's fun. When you see goal scorers doing their thing, you know, making mm-hmm. shots that make you stand up and say, Woo, wow, okay. That's when you are excited, and this team has that potential. You just got to do it every night. Opening drive member 
Robert Thomas, as Kerry mentioned, had the assist. He also scored in the third. Blues got one more for Torpchenko, from Torpchenko and win it by a score of 5-2. to two. And the Blues have not been great at home this season. Coach Craig Berube, is this one of your best? It was pretty good. Pretty good game all around, um, you know, everybody. I thought we got contributions from everybody. I thought everybody played a pretty solid game tonight, you know, which is good. We need that. You know, we need everybody to do their job out there and contribute uh, in some form. Now, the Blues are winning all the time, but because of what Kerry said, you start to work hard, you start to feel it. Brandon Saad, what's the atmosphere like? Yeah, it's nice. You know, we, we've had a lot of road, road games, and, and we all like playing in front of our fans in this building. So uh, it's been a good stretch. We're all kind of scoreboard watching, kind of seeing where we're at and uh, with playoffs and things like that. So every game is important. We're just trying to get points every night. If you would have told us a month ago that the Blues would – heck, if you would have told us a week ago that the Blues would only be <laughs> two points out of a playoff spot, we would have said no way. But the schedule has certainly – played a role in the Blues' success. They play Chicago tomorrow night, 6 o'clock pregame, 7 o'clock face-off here on 101 ESPN. And, Kerry, like you say, if they try hard, we got a chance. That's all it is. It's effort and energy. And like I said, when you're younger players, um, sometimes that's hard to wrap your mind around to be able to do it every single night. And when you when you can figure that part out, that, oh, this is not just a once Every every other week type of deal, or, or twice twice a week. This is every time we step on the ice. This is the effort and energy we have to play with, and you will have more success. You're not going to win every game, but you will be closer to closer to winning every game than you have been in the past because it's just not. If here's Randy, as a football player, we have a thing called loafs, right? And what a loaf is, is if I see you running after the the, the ball carrier mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden your speed changes or people are passing you up and I know you're faster than that player, that's a loaf, which means you didn't give full effort from the time the ball was caught, time it was ran past the line of scrimmage. You did not give me everything you had on that specific play. That's a loaf. If I can cut on the film and see you not running as fast as I know you can, you're not playing hard. And if I can turn on the film and watch the Blues flying around like they did last night and not see it a couple of nights before or not see it a couple of nights from now, that you're loafing. You're not giving all effort every single time. And it shouldn't be that big of a disparity when you watch them play. It shouldn't be right, right. when you watch them play, You oh, tonight is a good night for them. No, 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 no. It has to be that way every single night if you want to be a champion. That's the bottom line. If, <laughs> That's if it. you want yeah. to be no doubt about it. All right, a couple of uh, notes from the NFL. A couple of offensive coordinators whacked, but the Tampa Bay gets, and not in a good way, by the way. Uh, t- Tampa Bay gets rid of uh, <laughs> what? NFL. Uh, Tampa Bay gets rid of Byron Leftwich, who is, by the way, a finalist. He f- interviewed twice for the Jacksonville job last year, the Doug Peterson got. And also Greg Roman, longtime offensive coordinator, coordinated the number one rushing offense in the history of the league three years ago, and he gets fired by the Ravens. And then Josh Boyer, defensive coordinator in Miami, who had a top 10 defense last year, had a bunch of injuries this year, never had Byron Jones as top cornerback. Uh, They lost some players in free agency. He gets fired at Donatel. I don't know what kind of talent they had in Minnesota. But he did schematically. It didn't seem Mm -hmm. to work out. But it does seem like there's a lot of uh, CYA on the part of head coaches when they get rid of coordinators. It it definitely is that because (laughs) – if you fire your coordinator, that's really one step before you get fired. The defense isn't performing well, fire the D coordinator. The offense isn't performing well, fire the OC. The next step is, well, the team is still the same the year after. Now it's time for you to go. At, with with 
I feel bad for 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 B left. That that's that's a former teammate of mine. I feel bad for him because he could have taken the the he had an opportunity to to take the the Jacksonville mm-hmm. Jaguars job. I don't know if it was offered to him. I don't know if he turned it down, but I know that there was an opportunity before they hired Doug Peterson. The way that this team played, and I'm speaking about the Tampa Bay Bucks, you can't put that on the OC. All I can do is call the plays, man. <laughs> you, yeah, yeah. you guys got to figure it out up front. And it's not like the cast is vastly different from what it was the year before or the year before that when they won the Super Bowl. The offensive line was banged up. The whole you, group. You, the whole group had changed. And, so, and you have a 45-year-old quarterback. So at some point, his play is going to deteriorate. You just don't know when, and you're, you've hitched your, your 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 wagon to a 45-year-old guy who you're hoping that has a, a, a beat-up offensive line has missed multiple games throughout the entire season. I feel bad for B-Left because that was not a, a, a that was a recipe for disaster when all those offensive linemen you know decided to retire or got injured. I'm going to get you another number, too, because the defense didn't help them out. Let me get you the number here. Uh, all I need to do is click right here. Tom Brady... Through a career high 733 passes this year. At 45. Yeah. That means you can't or aren't running the ball well enough. And you're you're, you're playing from behind. And you're playing from behind, which means your defense is giving up a lot of points. That game versus the Cowboys game that they played in a couple of days ago. I said it yesterday. The Cowboys started out their first two drives, two, three and outs. If you would have given Tom Brady a defense that got two, three and outs and didn't he was going to score some points. It was going to be a field goal. It was going to be a touchdown. They were going to score on those first two drives, and they didn't get anything which allowed the Cowboys to reset, get back into the game. It's just tough to watch the the, the Bucks right now, and I feel bad for B-Left. Cause 30 seconds because we're going to get to Bradley Carnell, the head coach of St. Louis City SC, in just a moment. But Lamar Jackson is going to have say in the offensive coordinator yeah. selection in Baltimore. Should he? I mean, one thing I can tell you is the routes are going to be downfield because he likes him and B.A. He comes from the B.A. philosophy. You know, we're going to take chunks. We're going to take shots downfield. You're going to have better route concepts, I'm sure. But the running game, how does that how, how does that mesh with what they do in Baltimore? Because obviously they run the ball with the quarterback, with the running backs in Baltimore. The guy that's following up is a guy named Mike LaFleur, who was the offensive coordinator of the Jets. They were going to fire him. Uh, Baltimore is going to be after him. The Rams are going to be after him. Uh, there were two other teams that were interested in, in bringing in. I would guess that uh, he'll be one of the guys in Tampa that uh, they'll be interested in. It's going to be amazing that Mike LaFleur is going to be able to pick a spot where there's talent. Yeah. And he's not going to have to have Zach Wilson trying to throw passes <laughs> you for him. It, you said it right. Falling up. Yeah. It's not a bad thing. <laughs> That's Kerry. I'm Randy. We're off and running here on 101 ESPN. Coming up, we're going to talk some soccer with Bradley Carnell. He's the head coach of St. Louis City SC, and he's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. With Super Bowl champion Kerry Davis, I'm Randy Carricker. It's the opening drive on 101 ESPN in St. Louis. And STL City SC has been training for a couple of weeks now. They're down in Miami getting prepared for their opener for their first MLS season. We head to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line. Bradley Carnell, head coach of St. Louis City SC, joins us. Good morning, coach. How are you doing? 
Good morning. How are we doing? Yeah, thanks for having me. We're uh, we're thrilled to have you. And first of all, obviously, this is an unusual situation for you because you're getting to build a team and see a team from the ground up. How have the first couple of weeks gone of uh, getting an expansion team ready? Yeah, it's been really good. Um, you know, the unusual situation of, of building a brand new team, I feel that we've kind of, you know, hit the ground running because we already had, you know, Seven plus uh, four guys we brought up from the MLS uh, Next Pro team, so from City Two. So dealing with fifty percent of the roster already before the roster was ever even, or before we foot, set foot on training ground on 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 day one here. So feeling really comfortable. Um, it's really good to get away, uh, obviously from the weather. <laughs> you know the conditions do us really good down here right now. So we had our first training session under the belt yesterday. Um, and and uh, just to get the travel out of our legs, and and today we really get going with uh, some important preparation days, uh, and we have a we have a game against Philadelphia Union on Tuesday. Hey Bradley, I'm I'm looking at the timeline, and and a year ago and a couple of weeks from today, you were named the head coach of St. Louis City. What was that moment like for you, and and how did you feel when you got that phone call that you would be the, the head coach? Yeah, it's an amazing feeling, right? So, I mean, it's uh, the life of a player and the life of a coach is all about a journey and a process, right? So mm. I felt uh, there's certain things that uh, fall into gear or fall into place and, and things click for the right reasons. So, you know, finding a club with the right philosophy, the right mentality of how I built and, and, and how my DNA uh, is in terms of how, what I what I want to set about to achieve with a, with a young squad, a hungry squad who's willing to work harder than any opponent, um, and there were just so many, um, you know, messages from the ownership group that resonated with me and, and uh, you know, made sure that I, I uh, uh, took that leap into my head coaching job, my first head coaching job. So it's a very exciting prospect for me. Um, and I didn't think twice. But, uh, yeah, that was a year ago. And now we're here um, actually doing it. And uh, I couldn't have asked for more. We have a great group of youngsters, recruitment strategies, scouting, the expansion draft, the super draft, everything seems to have molded into a very good u- uh, group of young, uh, sort of young guns, you know, human beings and uh, with one objective in mind, and, and that's to be a teammate, a real good teammate, and to empty the tank every single day. You, you talked about philosophy and, and a lot of young guys. How do you get those guys to, to buy into what it is you're, you're trying to teach them every single game? I yell a lot. No, <laughs> Bradley, you and I are the same. I can come help you if you need some yelling. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I mean, we have a strategic process of, you know, breaking down the game model to the bare, bare roots and, and building it from, from really ground zero, from the flat bottom, right? So we spent the first few weeks, uh, you know, uh, in terms of our style of play, we have four phases of the game, um, obviously taking away the set pieces, but, uh, you know, we, we start very aggressive against the ball. We start uh, turning over the ball in transition, and now we start uh, molding away and chipping away at the block in terms of uh, creating goal-scoring chances up the field. So um, it's, a, it's a very strategic process, um, and a lot of uh, video work, a lot of off-the-field, a lot of individual work. So, you know, we have a, a group of talented coaches here as well who take on the initiative and make sure that we're helping each and every individual um, and to, to build this unique squad that we're trying to build. And Bradley, it seems like with what you describe, your players are going to have to know where the other guy is. And you talked about the seven players that have played together already. How advantageous is that built-in chemistry for you as a coach? 
Yeah, I think it's obviously every new crop, uh, every new season brings um, a new chemistry, right? So if we've had a chance to chip away at that chemistry already and make sure that we're trying to form a cohesive unit, a connected unit, a solidified unit, um, and and one that, you know, respects each other on and off the field and and plays for each other on and off the field because our game model relies on everybody, right? So we're not a bunch of stars. We're not a bunch of uh, DPs who just want to, you know, get the ball and score the goal themselves and take all the glory. So we want to create a culture and identity uh, that is unique and uh, is second to none. And, uh, yeah, we we feel that a good culture will will beat any strategy on any given day. You mentioned that you play Philadelphia in a preseason game next Tuesday. Do you feel like the team is pretty close to match ready? Oh, no, definitely not. I mean, we've only got uh, some minutes (laughs) under our belt, which is totally understandable, right? So um, it's important that if we were ready tomorrow, I'd be worried because, (laughs) you know, there's a process. Um, So for us now, it's all a strategic plan about getting the right amount of load uh, in the legs of the players before they fatigue or before they flatten out and make sure that we uh, build them up and, and set new thresholds each and every day. So from a fitness standpoint, uh, from a from a from a technical standpoint, we're just trying to every day, you know, go one step further. And uh, yeah, there'll be some uh, roadblocks, there'll be some uh, rusty edges over the next couple of weeks. But uh, for us, we have uh, 25th uh, of February in mind, and obviously the 4th of March home opener against Charlotte. Hey, Bradley, you you being a former player uh, and now a head coach, which one is more stressful, playing in a in a tough matchup, knowing you got to win the game, or coaching in a tough matchup, knowing you got to get these guys in the right position? I mean, it's definitely as a player, you just uh, you know this is what you dreamt to want to be. You want to be a pro. You want to be just kicking the ball with your buddies. You know, mm-hmm. um, and you never really took into account of what it takes to to play a certain style or to to the demands of being a coach you know we just arrived as a player and everything's set up it's great we we get to you know train and do what we love to do we get to then uh, meet up with the players afterwards head to the gym head to the pool you know have a i don't know some games <laughs> evening games nights and, and the rest of history you know get some hours of sleep but as a coach you know there's a planning process you know we planning for months ahead at a time um, and breaking it down into cycles. So then it's very scientific, very strategic. So, yeah, um, to say that we don't sleep much, uh, and that's, that's a gift <laughs> back, but it's something we love to do, right? If we, if we see the joys and the benefit of giving to others and, and seeing how the players um, sort of take on, you know, the efforts of, of all the staff and, and see that we're creating a platform for them to be successful, because that's all every player wants to be. They want to be successful. If we can supply them the tools um, and the methods for them to be successful, that's all that the coaching staff can ask for. Bradley, we we mentioned that you've been around for more than a year. You, you're involved in the community. You know what St. Louis is all about from a soccer standpoint. Have you allowed yourself to imagine what City Park is going to be like when you step on that pitch for the first time on March 11th? Well, we had a small taster, or actually a big taster, you know, against uh, Leverkusen. So that was amazing to see the fans out there in the thousands, to see it packed to the packed, packed to the rafters. Um, for me, it was 
the only thing that, you know, I wasn't able to be on the sidelines uh, then because of uh, MLS Next Pro sanctions. Uh, it was a game for MLS Next Pro against Leverkusen. So, you know, me being the, the MLS coach, I wasn't really allowed to be on the sidelines. So that was the only thing that I didn't get to experience and I didn't get to feel. But, uh, you know, watching from the top um, was extremely a prideful moment just to see, you know, everyone coming out and supporting the team. And uh, even if it was majority City 2 guys, um, but to, to have a game against Leverkusen, one of the best teams in the world, um, and to go toe-to-toe for the first 35, 40 minutes was was really giving me hope for the future. Hey, one more thing, because this is such a unique circumstance that you're in, and you have 35 days before you open the season. Are you somebody who keeps a journal so that you can maintain the memories of, of building this franchise? Do you Do you keep notes of what's going on on a day-to-day basis? Yeah, I mean... Uh, so there's probably the journey process, right? Mm-hmm. And then the stylistic process. So for me, building a journal of methods, trainings, uh, reflections, uh, style of play videos, uh, recaps of games, and making it into an end-of-year style of play, this is who we were and this is where it got us. So I believe a lot in the data and the science of the game. So for me to track a journal or to, to keep up with a journal like that from a stylistic point of view, for sure, um, in terms of the journey and, and just keeping tabs of, of, you know, how it went. Um, yeah, from time to time, I might jot a few things down. Um, but I'm more in the, in the what's tangible and, and what got us the style of play. What did we do to cre- uh, create that style of play? So my journal is all about five by five boxes and how many minutes we did it for and how did the video look? You know, that's my journal. So it's more practical. Um, yeah, I tend to to leave the emotional side out of it. <laughs> Finally, I uh, I picked up my phone and it said wintry weather coming to St. Louis. How's everything in Miami weather wise? Miami weather wise is great. I mean, we have uh, probably 65, 68 degrees right now, and, and probably get to a high of somewhere seventy eight, eighty. Um, so it's perfect. Hmm. Uh, perfect both weather for your opening drive. We, we we wish we were there, Bradley. Thanks so much for the time. We appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon. All right, thanks. Thanks for having me again. Take care. You too. Say, see you later. Bradley Carnell, head coach of St. Louis City SC with us on 101 ESPN. I love their approach, and we all love when we see an expansion team. We enjoy the approach, but I think Lutz Fahn and Steele had a great plan, picked out a coach that mm-hmm. fits his philosophy exactly. They both picked out players that fit their philosophy exactly. It'll be a, a, a team that reflects St. Louis in, in terms of Hard work. It'll be a lot like the Blues when they're at their best. They're yeah. miserable to play against. It's going to be fun. It, it will be. And I, I think, you know, when you have a coach that has played the game, has coached the game, and understands, you know, kind of the nuances and the details, he, the way he broke that down made it made it pretty simple for if you're teaching a player or showing one of your players what they need to do, it's not a lot of <laughs> different difficult parts to piece together, and it makes it easier for you to go out and just play. By the way, uh, I think if I were doing this, I would want to record the emotional aspects of things. He's very clinical, uh-huh. but because of what it is, it, it's one thing to take over an established franchise, right? right? But you're starting something. Yeah. And it'd be cool to just, and I'm sure they're, STL City SC has so much video. They're yeah. chronicling yeah. this journey for him. You're very in touch with your emotions, Randy. Big time. I, I think the, write big, it down. the biggest thing for me in that one has been since day one, since they brought in Lewis and then when they brought in Bradley, the, it's been what you said, the connection of the philosophy that the the style of play is going to be what Lutz described from day one. That it's going to be a higher line. It's going to be pressing. It's going to be winning the ball back after you turn it over. That kind of hectic 
you know, organized chaos almost style, you have to come out firing quite literally to get the casual fan. I just think that I think that is you don't easily, want to come out firing in the city of St. Louis. Yeah, not, Fair enough, not literally. Firing, I can't say come out shooting firing either. Soccer shots, yeah, yeah right. There, there you go. go. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, because getting a hectic, fun style right out of the gate again. You, you might lose some games five to four, but hey, I, I'd rather I'd rather have some ha, have something fun happening. It's not gonna be that high scoring, but I'd rather have Darn something it. fun like that happening instead of being like, well, we're gonna try to win this season, and that's gonna you know slow it down, keep possession. I don't, you know what? Give me give me three goal games, even if it's a even if it's a loss. Coming up next on one hundred and one ESPN Live Golf has a TV deal. We're gonna talk to Jay Delsing about that and more next on one hundred and one ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Let's go to the Brown and Crouppen Celebrity Line, shall we? Our friend, former PGA Tour pro, Jay Delsing, the host of Golf with Jay Delsing on Sunday mornings here on 101 ESPN. He joins us now. Jay, good morning. How are you doing? I'm doing well, guys. Good morning. How about you? I'm doing well. I, I'm just really excited about the accessibility of Live Golf to me now. <laughs> I had to look. I don't know that much about CW, but um, it's still Channel yeah. Eleven, right? Here, yeah, in, uh, that, it was, yeah. Is that the same as the WB? Weren't they that with the little bunny? Yeah, exactly, the, the guy yeah. that had the yeah. Had, oh yeah, yeah. you know the CW. Yeah, yeah. reruns of you know, know. armed episodes yeah. and things like that. Yeah, there you go. And Dawson's Creek yeah. used to come on there. I, I, See, <laughs> people know. Oh, uh, Carrie, be careful. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll say this, because I think we're all equally critical and skeptical of Live Golf, but this can't be bad for them. I, I don't think it can be bad for them. I, I, I was I was really interested, guys, in the details of the deal, you know, and um, w- one of the things that's interesting is that Live Golf is not getting a rights fee Meaning, when the PGA Tour and the NFL or anybody does a deal with 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 media, they're getting paid uh, a really nice sum up front for the privilege, for lack of a better word, you know, to go ahead and, and televise the product. And so that's not the case. So right now, it looks like Live and the CW will be trying to uh, seek out sponsors and, and and generate some revenue from them. It's going to be interesting, guys who we're going to see sponsor this thing. You know, what sort of advertisers are going to be willing to jump on board here? That's really going to be interesting. It's going to look like the Masters, Jay. There's going to be no advertising. <laughs> I, I was thinking that probably will start out like that, which, you know, I've, I've had a couple people talk to me and say, look, you know, I'm going to watch. And I'm, I'm going to watch, too. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to watch, too. It, it's the thing that I keep going back to, guys, about Live Golf is that we have talked more golf since Live came around right. than, gosh, in my entire life. And so, from that aspect, it, it it can't be entirely bad. I just I just don't see an end game for these guys yet. I'm just not smart enough to figure out how this is going to play out. And if this does go away, what happens to those players? How the hell do they get back to the PGA Tour? I just don't see it. Jay, I'm wondering, does this, even though we may not, you know, many people may not be able to find the CW, does it make uh, live, I guess, more relevant or or, or potentially make them more relevant as opposed to just what seems to be a dog and pony show at this moment? 
I think it has to, Kerry. I think I, I think what's interesting is, as I was, you know, reading about some of this stuff, is that you almost have to be careful what you wish for here. So now this is going to be on TV. What's the product going to look like? I mean, is it going to look kind of like? the pandemic golf where are you how many spectators are going to be you know there's a lot of things that having this visible is going to to show us it's going to give us a lot more information and i i mean at the end of the day they're playing a game that i love to death you know and there there are players that um um i I, i've really enjoyed watching and i have a lot of respect for them in terms of their games and so uh, I'm trying to be positive about it. I've been I've I've been so negative on live. I, I still don't like what it's done to our game. It's it's just blown it up, you know. And and I'd really like I really liked it when a tournament came on and we knew, gosh, we're going to have you know, DJ and and Tiger and you know all of these guys competing against one another. Now it's. You know, nothing, nothing close to that. Hey, Jay, Henrik Stenson is playing in the Abu Dhabi Classic, and his clubs didn't show up until Tuesday night, which isn't bad because he was able to get started on Thursday and, and get rolling. What's the closest you've ever had to not having your clubs in a tournament? Oh, my gosh. Well, uh, <laughs> I, I, I had, I've only lost my entire set one time, and it was um, – it was a, a trip from St. Louis to L.A. I gave them to the, the lovely folks at TWA, and they just never showed. And then I had a knock on my door, uh, my my ex-wife's parents' door, and there was a gentleman there with my set of clubs wanting to sell them back to me. Oh, man. <laughs> and I was, I was like, you know what? I reached in, I grabbed the putter, because the putter was the, the only thing that I really cared about. I said, I'm not giving you a dime for that, and we just walked away. Um, wow. I, I, did a, I had a lot of funny things happen when the first, I don't, you guys are, are all dads, and being a dad was a nervous time for me the first time my wife at the time was had some health issues and i was playing in the honda classic down in fort lauderdale and i left my clubs in the hotel room i went to and and for whatever reason i didn't realize it and i couldn't I, i i couldn't get back there in time for a second round and so I was kind of frantically walking around the locker room, and I ran. I went. I went to the first pro I saw, asking if I could use his club. And it was, <laughs> and it was Nick Faldo. This was a great conversation. He's like, "Who are you? Like, are you you know?" And I'm like, "I don't want to use your clubs, anyways." And I just kept walking. I was so out of my mind. My it was probably about a month before. My daughter Mackenzie was born, and so I, I should, should have been taking time off. I don't know about my ex, but I should have been taking time off because I was uh, I was completely out of it. But I've had my clubs not show up. Um, l- let's see, two years ago I played in the Shaw Classic in Calgary. Uh, it's a champions event, and the, the Canadian golf fans are fantastic. My clubs didn't get there until um Wednesday and but with the champions so we didn't start till Friday so you know I was never all that sad I was always on well hell we got all these equipment trailers and guys this is one of the coolest things about being on tour it's like there's a uh, a sporting goods store at the facility so there are new everything new equipment new so um every once in a while it was kind of like, oh gosh, this is my birthday. I'm just going to get a new driver. 
I'm going to get a couple new wedges. We're going to just try and start this thing all the way over. And when you're on tour, nobody even asks any questions like, hey, you've been in here taking a lot of free stuff. You know, <laughs> it's, not, it's, not like, it's not like that. They just, uh, they'll just go ahead and the manufacturers will just make it for you. AJ, I, I see a lot of commercials for golf swing gadgets. So there's a, a commercial that I saw for a go- foldable golf swing stick. And it, you, it's something you stick in your chest. It makes you, it forces you to keep your arms open as you, as you're turning. What is the best golf swing gadget or, or something that people could spend their money on that's not a waste of money? Gosh, Terry, that's a great, that, that is a great uh, question. So there's a local St. Louis company called Rap Soto. Uh, you, you, you may, Randy's probably heard, they're using it in, in MLB. It is a, it's almost a portable launch monitor, guys. It's about the size of your phone. It's um, something when you go out and practice, it um, through GPS and some other really cool features, it tracks your practice. It'll it'll make um, recordings and show your shots. It'll tell you how far your ball flew in the air, how, uh, all sorts of uh, uh, interesting information. They're just coming out this next week at the merchandise show in Orlando with a feature that now they can they can. Um, keep track of your spin rates. And with that is going to come more club face angles that impact and things like that. Gary, those are the things that, that might seem uberly advanced, but that is the, the sort of thing that will give you, can give you feedback on stuff for your golf swing and your golf game that can really help, especially, so spin rate, for example, if you guys hit a drive and you go, gosh, I really felt like I hit that drive well, but it, the ball went incredibly high or it started out really low and then had this rising motion, a lot of amateur golfers go, gosh, that's kind of neat. For us, that's not neat. That's not the way. That's not <laughs> optimal. We don't want that ball to fly like that. We want the ball to start off high and stay and, and, then, and then, you know, rise to its trajectory. This new gadget from Absoto can help with all that. And so – they just I just read about it and was talking to Art Shue. He is the uh, the CEO. He's a St. Louis guy. He used to work for Rawlings and, and Titleist and Nike, and he's a, a, a real supporter of the game, and it's a pretty exciting tool. Um, in terms of some of the, there's a there's a, a something for your putting that can really help. It's very inexpensive. It's called the putting arc. And I really, really like that because it works on the path of your stroke and doesn't. And Randy, we talked a little bit about this. We only worked on your putting a little bit, but if you'll remember, we don't want the face of your putter opening and closing much at all. And we also don't want the path of your putter going too far in mm-hmm. uh, towards your body. We want it almost staying straight back and straight through, almost straight back and straight through with little face rotation. The putting arc. I have the putting arc. I, uh, a couple of my my young, stu- good, good playing students practice on that, and it's really, really a great putting uh, tool. And it's perfect to throw in the office, guys, or at home. And five, if you spend five minutes on the putting arc, like three times a day, your putting will will improve immensely. Especially, guys, your putts from inside of five feet. Great info, Jay. Who do you have on the show on Sunday morning? I've got a former UCLA teammate of ours, Roger Gunn, who is now, um, he's been teacher of the year in Southern California. He's a Southern Cal guy, and it was really interesting to get to talk to him about the old UCLA days and then how he transformed from, he played in a couple of U.S. Opens and 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 a senior Open and how he transformed from player 
to to uh, to teacher and coach. And I, I I really think it's important, guys, to go to a coach that has played the game to some level because it it, it gives him a sense for how hard this thing is. Great to have you with us. We'll be tuned in on Sunday morning. Thank you very much, and have a great weekend, Jay. Thanks for having me, guys. See you. That's our buddy Jay Delsing on 101 ESPN. Next up, get ready for Take It or Leave It. Carrie, Randy, Matthew on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It's time for Take It or Leave It. Want to say something? Put it out there. If you like it, you can take it. If you don't, send it right back. Get your text into 314-399-9646. And give us your Take It or Leave It. Brought to you by Gloria Lou Realty. Visit GloriaHasTheBuyers.com and start packing. That's my final author. Take it or leave it. Time for Take It or Leave It on 101 ESPN. I got too much material today. This is so good. Uh, Carrie, Matthew, Randy, the uh, text line is open. Brought to you by Air Comfort Services, 314-399-9646. Just save that in your phone. So, CD, I'm sure you've read about this. Rihanna is doing the Super Bowl halftime show. Yep. And Stephen A. Smith, while being extraordinarily complimentary of Rihanna, Mm. said there's one thing Rihanna is not. She ain't Beyonce. Yep. And he actually... Got a lot of blowback and had to apologize for this. Take it or leave it. Stephen A has nothing to apologize for. I, I'll take that. That that's like if you were to say, you know, LeBron is amazing, but he ain't Michael. Yeah. I, I mean, it's 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 one of those things. I think people, especially here's the thing, Randy. I don't know if you know. There's a there's a thing called the Beehive yeah, and Rihanna's Army, and they are. They are what you would call stands. They're they're fans. They're crazy fans. I know maybe crazy isn't the right mm-hmm. word. They're they're, no, they're uber crazy. fans yeah, they're of their of of those artists. And if you say one, I think I think uh, Nicki Minaj, they're, they're Barb Barbies, Barb's. They, they are. They, it's it's a real thing out here in, on the internet on the interwebs. You got to be safe. You got to be careful what you say about specific people, uh, particularly. Artists because they, they, their fans will will fire you up in your mentions. Stephen A. Smith has never been more wrong about something his entire life. Whoa! And I'll say that right now. What was the the, be- the beehive like? can come after me right now? Oh, right. I'll take Rihanna any day of the week. Are we talking music or are we talking I'm other talk, things? I'm talking music and uh, and other things. Taking Rihanna every time, every time. I, I would say that I'm Beyonce say has had a much more dramatic impact on our culture. You're not wrong. I'm taking Rihanna every time. Okay. I had, I had a, a friend tell me that Jay-Z and, and Beyonce were probably more popular than Michelle and Obama. And it was a fair argument. I do not want to hear your arguments about Jay-Z. <laughs> no. Uh, can I give you my other one? Because I just said I had to be outside my top ten. <laughs> oh, my God. So you, you saw the sad story, Alabama basketball player Darius Miles being charged with capital murder. Yep. And Alabama basketball coach Nate Oates has reached out to Ray Lewis about how to handle Darius Miles being cha- charged with murder. Are you serious? That's yeah. no way. Take it or leave it. It was a good move on Nate Oates' part. I'm going to leave all of that and stay out of all of that. I don't, I don't want any part of it. I'm, I'm leaving it. I'm going to. Okay, Randy. get rid of the suit. Oh, right. I'm leaving. It. I'm, uh, I'm over here. I'm just 
just partaking in this show right now. I'm, pretty, I, I'm leaving. That. Pretty sharp move on, on oh, Nito's part. Randy, 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 Randy. Um, hey, take it. Or, you might as well take a stab at it. Oh my goodness, Randy, take it or leave it. If the Blues play it the way that they played last night, they can win the Stanley Cup. I'll take that. Yes, they can. If they play every game like they played every last single night. game, yeah, they can win the Stanley. They're Cup. going to be tired as all get out by the mm-hmm. end of the season, but you know. They can, yeah. they can win it if they play with that much energy and right. that much effort. Yeah. In fact, I would say that most of the NHL teams, probably 24 NHL teams, have the ability, if they play with that sort of effort, would be able to win a cup. Why do you think teams don't play with that energy night in and night out? It's really hard. I mean, it is. Think about playing four football games a week. When you yeah, get run into the boards, it's extraordinarily I, physical. I would, Randy, can I, can I tell you something? Take it or leave it. There are kids still playing football in January. Children, Randy. Mm-hmm. Children. They've been playing since August. Take it or leave it. Those people are nuts. I'll take that. Not yeah. the kids. No, but the people that are having them play? Come on, It's, man. it's nuts. Come on, man. Yeah. Hey, you got to stop it somewhere. Right. I'm don't, with you. Come on. It's kids that are playing 30, 40 games a year. It's Children. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and think about eighty-two hockey games, eighty-two of those. That, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. No, uh, Matthew, what do you got on the old text line there? Take it or leave it. With the return we get from O'Reilly, Tarasenko, and Barbashev, we can at least get a couple guys that make an impact right now. I'm going to leave that, but I would say that you would probably set yourself up very well for the 24-25 season. I, I would say that if you get a first rounder for each of those guys probably aren't in the NHL making an impact for a year. I yeah, I think that's I think that's fair. Listen, you can make some trades, but I think the expectation of getting rid of a bunch of guys who could impact this year and just expecting to turn around from other guys who can impact this year is unrealistic. If you if you make those trades, you're going for next year. You're going right. draft picks and you're you're hoping that, you know, guys like neighbors continue to develop into top six players. And maybe get a prospect or two back in return that yeah. are more NHL ready. Take it or leave it. Armstrong's tenure with the Blues has been more impressive than Moe's with the Cardinals. Mm. Gonna have to leave that? Moe has never had a losing season. Army has never had a losing season. Army's team is in the top five in wins since he took over. Moe's is in the top five in wins since he took over. They both have a championship. Moe did go to another championship round, losing in the 2013 World Series. But to me, the difference is... Armstrong has been able to play on a level playing field with his fellow GMs because of the salary cap. Now, he has made some amazing moves. When you can trade Yori Laterra for Braden Shen, when you can make the deal where you traded Patrick Berglund and Vladdy Saboka to Buffalo for Ryan O'Reilly, he's made some phenomenal moves. But Mosellock has had to continue to try to win with teams that are allowed to spend $100 million more than him. And I think that's where the difference lies for me. I I, I would say by a nose, it's Moe's. <laughs> see what you did there. <laughs> you like that? Randy! Not, come on now. <laughs> Wait, I'm sorry, I had to. That was good. Take it or leave it. Kyra will be a 50-goal scorer in the next three years. Uh, Take it or leave it. He'll be a 50-goal scorer in the next three months. Oh, Oh, Randy Carricker. Hold on a moment. Wait a second. Where is he at? Wait a second. You're making me do math this early in the morning. Playing rude. He's capable. Yeah, I would would say yes, he will. 
So he's four, I mean, he's got 21 goals in 43 games. So, yeah, mm-hmm. I'd take that. I'd take that. What do you think? Yeah. I'm going to leave it. In an, uh, Next three years. He's, he's got to bump. Next I mean, three years, I'll gotta, take it. He's got to bump the rate up to how many? 40, I mean, 40. I mean, this is he's just beyond the rate he needs. He needs to have 25 goals in 43, you know, 26 goals in 43 games. He's missed a few uh, games. So, mm-hmm. um, so that, that. That'll hold him back from this year. Yeah, I, I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna leave it. Okay, Randy. Why? But 92 goals in a season. How, That's crazy. How, how? Did you? Did you? Did you? How? Go back the, and watch a highlight of number 92. How? The 99. 99. Uh, the how? How do you? The game was dramatically different. Not much defense was being played Clearly. at that time. <laughs> we looking at Wilt versus everyone else? Yeah, that's what he <laughs> Gretzky was. He he was Wilt. He was just Jeez. unbelievable. His his vision of the ice was absolutely astounding. And he was just playing. We talk about chess versus checkers. He's playing with like the fastest computer in the world, and everybody else is playing with an abacus. That's that's what it was. He he was just unbelievable. And to me, the great there are so many great Wayne Gretzky stats. But if you take away his goals for his career, he'd still be the highest scoring player right. in the history of the league. That that is. Crazy. Yeah, it was just unbelievable. This is a wild one. Take it or leave it. Jordan Love will win more Super Bowls than Aaron Rodgers. Leave that. Ooh. Leave it. He's only got one, so if you win win two. two. Yeah, but is Jordan Love going to win two Super Bowls? Yeah, I'll leave it. (laughs) Uh, Take it or leave it. The Dallas plays kicker misses an extra point again this week and is never seen again in the NFL. Oh, listen. Yeah, I'll take it. (laughs) That. So. I think he's okay. I don't know if he was injured. You asked if <laughs> Randy texted me over the weekend after all of those kicks. Do you feel bad for him? I'm like, no. no. <laughs> that was Kerry, I thought that was a little I thought that was a little harsh, my man. I, I don't feel bad no. for him. I mean, you got a job oh, to do. Damn, get it together. He made the last one. He made the extra point, the last one. And so that gives him confidence going into this week. <laughs> all you need to do is see one go in. It's like a shooter. You, you shoot your shot, you see one go in. We're good to go. Yeah. yeah but I, no, I don't feel bad. We got one more ready. <laughs> take it or leave it. Ray Lewis will cut through the fat and really slice down to the details. Oh, yeah, man. I'll take that. I'm yeah. going to leave that and stay far away from it. <laughs> I don't know anything about yeah, it. So we had a Rams bar in 1999 in Atlanta. And that, after the game, happened like right across the street from the bar that all the Rams fans were in. So we see the limo out there and everything. We see everything, cop cars and everything. We didn't see Ray, but uh, we, we saw a lot going on out there or mm-hmm. something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, it, but it, it, he, we didn't see Ray. So that's all. I'll say. I'll, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. Uh, thank you, Matthew. <laughs> thank you, Randy. And thanks very much for your text. Hey, the uh, Cardinals are going to have a big key in 2023, and that's going to be Jack Flaherty. Should they have faith in him? That's next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN, presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. A fresh perspective on the day's top stories. It's the Opening Drive's Fresh Take. Brought to you by Schnucks Rewards. Reward yourself. Earn 2% back on every purchase with the Schnucks Rewards app. Absolutely. We're talking about a guy in 2019. He's a sure number one. We get that version of him, which is we expect and what he expects. And yeah, again, exciting for everybody. 
That was Cardinals skipper Ollie Marmol at the Cardinals winter warm-up when asked if Jack Flaherty, a healthy Jack Flaherty, is an October pitcher. And he said, absolutely. There's no doubt about it. And Jack, who was absolutely brilliant in 2019, as we remember, had that record-setting second half at a 2.75 ERA over 33 starts. Carry since then in the last three years, and that includes the COVID year in 2020, uh, Flaherty started 32. 33 games in 2019. In 2020, 2021, 22, he's only started uh, 32 games. And he was the best pitcher in the National League when he got hurt on Memorial Day of 2021. Yeah, I, I, sometimes the injury bug bites you and it's hard to to get out of that. I'm sure Jack Flaherty is sick of us talking about mm-hmm. if with him. And, and if he does listen, if he, if he hears, if he has friends that listen, I'm sure he's sick of it. And I'm sure he's probably at the point where he wants to prove not only to himself but to all of St. Louis that he is what you saw in 2019 you just have to do it I mean it, it, it's it's some some injuries are are you can't control when they happen sometimes <clears throat> things pop you know you get hamstrings or you get calves or you get shoulders that that tweak elbows that hurt mm-hmm. from pain from the torque of pitching all of those things are 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 you know, symptoms of, of playing in a professional sport. You just, you have to get healed, completely healed, before you try to throw yourself back out. And I think there's been times where he's tried to rush back out right, and wasn't right. 100% healthy because you want to go out and prove it to everyone else you know who you are so they can know as well. And Jack thinks he knows who he is, and he holds himself to a higher standard mm-hmm. than many. You know, can he repeat, repeat it? And it's like, we went out and had a terrible first half in 19. Like it was awful. And then flip a switch, you know, fix one thing and then it t- kind of take off from there. And then, you know, you kind of get a little bit robbed of building off that with, with COVID and knocking out all those months. And, you know, and then the f- get the first start, which was pretty dang good. And then don't pitch for 28 days, you know, all that crap that goes on. And then, you know, come back the next season, get off to, I mean, an unbelievable start like it is what it, it was that so yeah if you want to call the standard 2019 by for the end numbers like sure but i like I, when i've gone out and pitched i've still been able to, to build off that and continue to get better and i think like right now sitting here i mean i was I was 23 doing that in the second half and then came out two years later and had a, a much better start to the year which is what i wanted so what flaherty has to do now after three pretty much lost seasons is he has to prove himself and Marmal was asked if he's ready for that. I don't think he's affected by the high expectations as much as he um, he knows what he's capable of doing and is frustrated when he doesn't show that Um, but put in high expectations on him there's no no one's gonna have higher expectations on Jack than Jack has on Jack so um, I'm not concerned with us articulating like yeah we're expecting a lot no he's getting that's what he's preparing to do and he's looking forward to executing on that. We know what he's capable of, and when he says this is the best I've felt in a long time, that's exciting for everybody. One guy who's reasonably confident is a pretty important one, yeah. and that's his president of baseball operations. My confidence in Jack is, is probably at an all-time high. I, I think uh, he's had a really good offseason. His preparation has been you know, very strategic. He is, um, I think, in a really good spot. And, you know, I think he understands the importance of this year. And so, um, you know, obviously we all saw a glimpse of what, what he's capable of doing in, in, in 19, and, and it was really good. And, uh, 
you know, I think the key is for him to be healthy. I think it's, it's you know, having his, his preparation and the ability to, to repeat that is, is obviously important. But, um, yeah, I'm, I'm really excited about what we're seeing with him. You know, coming into spring training healthy, um, finishing finishing a season healthy, coming into the next season healthy, training camp, spring training, those are, are key components to having a great year. And, and so far, it seems like we're mm-hmm. on the path, on the track for that. So you go into spring training, you 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 get your 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 regimen, your your plan, and how you plan to go about your day to day business, and how you plan for the season to go, and then you go out there and then you execute it. And and if you have something that's nagging, you speak on it. Hey, this is nagging a little bit. I might need a I might need to miss this start mm-hmm. so that you don't try to push through, especially knowing that the injury injury history that you have had, whether it's the shoulder, or elbow, whatever the case may be, understanding that if something is pinching or tugging at you just a little bit it doesn't make it doesn't make you soft it doesn't make you weak it makes you understand your body and understand how important and how valuable you are to this team to be able to make sure you're able to go the entire season and by the way if you're a cardinal fan that believes they should have traded jack flaherty because of durability concerns then by definition you should not have wanted the cardinals to go after carlos rodon who had much worse injury issues over the course of four years than Jack Flaherty had over three. Rodon in 2017 had 12 starts. In 2018, he had 20. In 2019, he had seven. In 2020, he had two starts. He had a stretch there where he had 41 starts over four seasons. No durability at all. And then all of a sudden he turns into a a horse for the White Sox in 2021 and the Giants last year and gets a monster contract from the Yankees. Pitchers do have a tendency to come back sometimes from extended stays away from being high quality guys. Yeah, I I think we've seen the talent that he has. We know you know, what his, his ceiling is. And, and we may not even really know what his ceiling is. We, it may be higher than what we uh, already think that it is. If he's able to, as I said, finish the season healthy, start spring training healthy, start the season healthy, and and just take it step month by month, March, April, May, June, and continue to go about it, you'll be okay. Kerry, I am an optimist at my core. So I do have confidence because mm-hmm. when he's pitched, he's pitched well. Right. So I have confidence, especially in a year in which he's going to be highly motivated heading into free agency. I would be very surprised if he didn't start 28 games for the Cardinals. 28 games, how many wins? 17. I was going to go 16. Okay. But yeah, he should have a really good year because when he's pitched, he's pitched well. That's Kerry. I'm Randy. And that is today's Fresh Take here on 101 ESPN. Next up, our weekly visit with Joe Vitale. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. We're talking everything St. Louis Blues as we head into the Blues booth. Presented by Boardwalk Hardwood Floors, a proud partner of your St. Louis Blues. Find your perfect new floor at our four convenient locations and online at BoardwalkHardwood.com. character and this is the opening drive on 101 ESPN and it's always great to visit with uh, 
two prides of Pittsburgh, Kerry Davis, Super Bowl champ with the Steelers, Joe Vitale, long time with the Penguins, and both natives of St. Louis and, and both broadcasters in St. Louis now. Uh, Joey V, good morning. How are you doing, sir? Hey, Randy, I'm doing great. You know, it's, it's funny. You always introduce Kerry as Super Bowl champion, and, and of course, you just say long time uh, Pittsburgh <laughs> Penguins. Unfortunately, you know, people always ask me, like, geez, you play for the Penguins. You must. No, believe it or not, I got there in 2010, the year after they won their first cup, and then I left the year before they won their second and third cup. So <laughs> I can always uh, look at that with some humility. I always say I, I think they found out what the problem was. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're, you're a guy, you're a champion through and through. At least in our hearts, you are a, a champion. All right, so uh, what's been on your mind as you have uh, traversed this, uh, this mysterious earth over the course of the last couple of days? What's the, and you think about a lot of things, but what's the thing that you've been thinking about most? I, you know, today really it's been about carpool. I, I mean, I'm on come on carpool duty today. I got I just dropped off my three kids. There is never an extreme low to high like dropping your kids off for carpool. Like uh, we're, we're in the car and it's just mayhem. I mean, it's like anarchy in the morning in my house with with the breakfast and the messes and the crying. I got a couple babies still in the back. You might be able to hear them here in a second. Mm-hmm, yeah, you know, it's it's just constant. And then kids are fighting. So-and-so didn't like how so-and-so's penguin looked. Um, I paid for a $5 for a penguin picture from Bodie, but then Harper charged me $6, and they're arguing about that. Uh, my daughter's hair is a mess. My wife's trying to get a workout and find some it's – just, it's just mayhem. And then you're getting to school, and everyone's fighting, and no one's got a seatbelt on. And then you're, you're, you're ready to pull your hair out, and then you drop them off, and then it's like, oh, this is nice. Like, this is nice. Like, this is why I send you guys to school. I don't care what you're learning. I don't think you really care about tectonic plates in the Civil War. Like, that's the past, man. Like, I don't care what mathematics. I got a calculator. This is daycare. School, school is daycare for me, and I'm okay with that. Joey, understand that you are not the only one having that fight in that carpool line. There, there are multiple parents having the same issues, so you're not alone, brother. I, I, I too have had those those conversations, and you know, had to had to grab a child. Hey, settle down, please, and before they go off to school, try to have them have a good day. But you know, sometimes already, yeah, Yeah, enough. and, and Carrie, that's that's what it was about. I mean, you have young kids. That was was the whole thing about the COVID nonsense for two years oh, yeah. there, where our kids were home. Everyone's like, "What are these kids gonna learn?" Who cares? No one really cares about what they're learning. You just want them out of your house. Like, forget, forget phonics. Like, I don't care if my kid can read or not. I just want them out of my house. Joey, the toughest part about. Um, COVID and and them being at home, I had to help my son. I had to. I was in school with him. He was sitting on his his computer. He was in the third grade, I believe, and I had to sit there with him in front of that computer and make sure he was doing the lessons correctly. It was back to school for me as well. It was it was a tough time. We were we were going through it together. Well, exactly. I mean, that's the other struggle was you know, Carrie. It it exposed it exposed how dumb we are as adults. That's. (laughs) That's well, what, Joey, that's no, what no, me. because here's the thing. They have changed so much in math. They make it so much harder than the math we learned when we were kids. Oh, yeah. There are yeah. there are five extra steps to the math that they're teaching, and I'm teaching the, my son the way that I did. Hey, you're with me. I'm your teacher. This is the way we're going to do it. Teach, you're going to have to figure it out. Sorry about it, but we're going to well, go this way. 
Exactly right. I knew I knew we were in trouble to your point when my sons were doing the uh, multiplications and we we're on nines. And you, you guys know that finger trick where you, where you count the fingers and then you do like the nines. And so my kids started doing that. My wife's like, what are you doing? I'm like, well, this is how I learned how to multiply by nine. <laughs> and so our kids are still doing the finger thing in the middle of the class. Hey, not my problem anymore. You're, you're in school. You figure it out. <laughs> hey, Carrie, the uh, Carrie, Joey, the St. Louis Blues this morning, as of uh, January 20th, 2023, they have a better record and they're closer to a playoff spot than they were four years ago today. Pretty amazing, isn't it? I mean, that's where that's where I know you know people they get all kind of cuckoo and crazy about the analytics and. I think if you go to this, you know, you know this, this website where you can see the percentage of the Blues making the playoffs, and it, you know, for a while they had them like ten percent. Now it's probably like thirteen or fourteen percent, or maybe a little bit higher now. But you know, it's like you look at those numbers, and to me, it doesn't matter. You know, I, I, I even told Chris Kerber last night. Chris Kerber was looking at the score, the scores around the league, and it's always fun. It's always fun to kind of scoreboard watch, but. To me, it's just, it's so early. Like, it is still so early. There is so much hockey ahead for this team. And you look at what they did back in 2019. Really, I mean, for all the Blues fans out there, anything, anything is possible. And you look at, you know, how and what Doug Armstrong is going to be doing moving forward. And, and I think that more, more so than ever, you've got to stay competitive and you've got to figure out a way to get in. And you've got to create a team that's going to get you in. Because when you get in, you just never know. And I think that 2019 run pretty much sums it all up. Hey, Joey, I asked Randy this earlier, and I'm going to ask you, if they play with the effort and energy that they showed last night, the, 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 it's limitless for what the potential of this team could be. It really is. I mean, that was why last night's game to me in a, in a very short short little shot there, you really saw what this, what this team could be against a Central Division rival. And I look at Nashville, look the way they're built. St. Louis is built to me better. They're better for playoff hockey. They make better decisions. Uh, they're a proactive group. They were physical last night. They play with energy. They play with pace. And they just have this gamesmanship about them. You know, Bennington was on top of his game very early in that game as well. You know, you look at, you compare the goalies just for example. You know, I know Bennington's numbers have not been great this year, but I, I've watched him the last three to four matches and. It really is remarkable what what he can do in stretches of games. And again, put the numbers aside, he's making those saves at the right times of the game, and he's making some big ones early on too. And that's what's given this team a little bit of life. And and there are little moments like that where you see spurts of the 2019 group where maybe the team hasn't played all that great, but you're getting a goaltender making a save, and it gives the team a little bit of life and a little bit of jump. And of course you can't lean on that forever, but certainly when he's on this little bit of a run that he's on, I think you can lean on it. So there's so many different aspects of this team that do remind you of that 2019 team. And with all these healthy bodies coming back, it's going to be, it's going to be an interesting one. I do not count the Blues team out, not only to make the playoffs, but to make a massive run at the Cup this year, in my opinion. What, what is it that, that needs to take place for, for them to play uh, with that effort as they did last night in each game? Is it just a mindset or is it just a want to and a will? Because it's there, and I think that's the, the frustration part when you see the roller coaster. You see that, and then you see, and then you don't see that, and it, it becomes a little bit frustrating. So how do, they, how do they continue to play with that effort and that energy every single night? Well, you know, Kerry, it starts with one win, and one turns into two, and then two turns into a nice little run like they're on. And then it just becomes contagious. I mean, you have to start somewhere. And I think when O'Reilly and Tarasenko and crew, you know, some of their bigger guys, even Bortuzzo, Nick Letty missed a little time, when they were missing all those bodies, 
I think that they had to go right back to the foundation of what makes them successful, and that's just playing fast, playing hard, and kind of playing desperate, to be honest with you. They had the soldiers from the American Hockey League get called up, and, of course, they're going to want to try to please their coach and do whatever he asks, like we're seeing. And that's where it began. So in some ways, all these injuries have kind of been a little silver lining where they kind of got back to the roots about how they win and, and the best way and the most effective way to win this league and just be competitive and be hard. So I think that's where it started. And then when you start there and you start finding success, you know, they, they started off four, I think five and one when they were missing all those top guys, including their captain. And then it just becomes contagious and it really does start to snowball in a very, very positive way. And I think that's what we're seeing right here. And then when you have the younger players doing that and all of a sudden they have a little bit of success and then that success turns into confidence for them, whether it be a Jake Neighbors who has continued to emerge as being a top young player in the league. Look at Tyler Tucker last night. He gets his first point. He gets in his second fight uh, right after the whistle there in that second period. I mean, a lot of these young players just really building some confidence, but it all started from just putting one win together, playing that hard style, one turn into two. And like I said, they're, they're playing some good hockey right now. They're off on a good little run. Joe Vitale, always great to have you with us. We enjoy it, and we'll be tuned in tomorrow. Blues and Blackhawks here on 101 ESPN. Always good to see the the Blackhawks in town. Yeah, looking forward to that one. Kerry, Randy, you guys have a great weekend now. Thank you very much. That's Joe Vitale, Blues analyst here on 101 ESPN. Next up, we've got the fight. Do we have a fighter? We've got a a fighter for the fight, which is next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Welcome to the fight. In the red corner, average Joe Listener. And in the blue corner, the undisputed king of morning drive. Please welcome Randy Carricker. Welcome back to the opening drive. I'm Kerry Davis, joined by Matthew Rocchio, and it is time for the fight. And our fighter today is Kyle. Kyle, how are you doing this morning? I'm good, Kerry. How are you? Doing well. Are you uh, excited to take on Mega Mine? I am. I mean, somebody's got to end this streak, right? Somebody's got to do it. Now, we've been waiting for someone uh, with the confidence and with the answers to back it up. So, I don't know. Is that you today? Uh, we'll see. All right, let's let's get it started. Let's go. Which NFC team has most recently set the record for consecutive NFC championship appearances with four? The San Francisco 49ers, the Green Bay Packers, or the Philadelphia Eagles? Uh, Green Bay Packers. On this day in 1974, the UCLA Bruins lost a game for the first time after 88 wins straight. Who was the team that ended that legendary streak? Was it the USC Trojans, the Houston Cougars, or the Notre Dame Fighting Irish? Uh, Notre Dame. Torrey Holt was drafted sixth overall in 99, but he wasn't the first ever wide receiver drafted by the St. Louis Rams. Who was the first receiver drafted in the first round by the Rams between 95 and 98? Was it Derek Mason, Eric Moulds, or Eddie Kennison? Eddie Kennison. All right, and happy birthday to two-time World Series champion David Eckstein, also a World Series MVP. Let's not short him that. After winning championships in his stints with the Angels and then, of course, the Cardinals, which National League club did Eckstein finish his career with? Was it the Arizona Diamondbacks, the San Diego Padres, or the San Francisco Giants? The Padres. 
right, We're Kyle. Our score and going to get Randy Carricker. How you feeling? How, how how did that go for you? Uh, I don't know. I think I did okay. Maybe like three. Well, okay is 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 seventy five percent for you if it's three. Right. I mean that that that's pretty bad. I mean use I mean pretty good. We usually strive for a hundred percent because we know Randy uh is is he just has a wealth of knowledge, which I learned yesterday came from his childhood days when his mother would buy him sporting book magazines and he would read those as opposed to reading his math and English, that's which true. allowed him to be in the position that he is today. He's done a right. great job. It's, it's worked out very well for you. Kerry, as I've, uh, <laughs> as I've mentioned many times, while I could do sports in school endeavors, yep. quotes, I was in the half of the class that made the top half possible. There you go. <laughs> Somebody's got to sacrifice, yep. right? No <laughs> doubt about it. Yep. Randy, say hello to Kyle. Kyle, good morning. How you doing? Good morning, Randy. How are you? Doing great. Thanks for listening. Thanks for playing. Oh, thank you. You ready? Ready. All right. Which NFC team has most recently set the record for consecutive NFC championship appearances with four? Consecutive NFC game championship appearances? Yep. NFC game championship appearances. Um, hmm. Who did that in the NFC championship game? So when Philly did it, they didn't do it four times in a row. They went in 2001. Maybe they did, but no, oh, oh, two, oh, three, oh, four. Um, I don't think anybody else did. San Francisco, maybe a long time ago, Dallas, a long time ago. Philly, oh, four, they beat Carolina. No, oh, three, they lost to Carolina. Well, obviously, they were in the Super Bowl in 04, so they were in it. 03, they lost to Carolina. Well, you guys played Philadelphia and lost in 04. 03 was Carolina because they lost. 02, Tampa Bay went up there and beat them. In 01, obviously, they were here, and Marshall ran over them in the second half. So because I can't think of anybody else since that would have been able to do that in the last 15 years, I'm going to go with the Philadelphia Eagles. On this day in 1974, the UCLA Bruins lost a game for the first time after 88 wins straight. Wow. Who was the team that ended that streak? Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Torrey Holt was drafted sixth overall in 1999, but he wasn't the first ever wide receiver drafted in the first round by the St. Louis Rams. Who was that? First round receiver by the St. Louis Rams. Okay, so 95, it was Kevin Carter. 96, Eddie Kennison. One spot ahead of Marvin Harrison. All right, Randy. But Eddie Kennison was 10 pounds heavier. <laughs> we all know that that matters. Yeah. <laughs> Can birth- I give you one more? Super Bowl 34, ESPN Zone, Atlanta. There's a party at the ESPN Zone. Eddie Kennison, member of the NFL at the time, trying to get in the door. They wouldn't let him in. Had no idea that he was an NFL player. Hmm. We used, to, we used to have these cards. He didn't have his card. I think he forgot him. his card. Yeah, he yeah. left his card at home. They don't know all of us. You got to have your cards? Oh, yeah. I might have one still. I, I, let me find so, it. Uh, well, you well, well you're looking for it. I can tell you this. <laughs> Several years ago, we are at the uh, Super Bowl in Indianapolis. That was at, uh, I don't remember who was. 2000. I had a feeling it was an NFL. Yeah. Card. 13 yeah. or something like that. 
Former uh, player member. DeMarco didn't have one of those either. Mm-hmm. We got into every party because DeFar showed off his Super Bowl. There you go. You that, know what that, else was effective? Good. That's good enough. You know what else was effective? Even more effective than DeMarco's Super Bowl ring? What's that? Duncan's World Series ring. Oh, yeah. That got us into a few parties, too. Yeah. Does this mean that you were the 36,234th player in the NFL? Is that what that means? I mean, I'm just wondering, because that's, that's that was your member number, so I'm wow. like, is that, I wonder if, they, if that's I, 100%. No, probably not, because there's oh, only okay. like 20,000 baseball players. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. It doesn't feel like that. Be, Baseball's been around longer. Yeah, it feels yeah. like it'd be Rosters a, aren't as big. feel like yeah. a lot, lot smaller thing. That's that. fair. We'll check All right, it out. Ernie, number four. Okay. <laughs> Happy birthday to two-time World Series champion David Eckstein and a Eckie. World Series MVP. I'm not going to short him oh, that either. 2006. After winning championships in his stints with the Angels and then the Cardinals, which National League club did Eckstein finish his career with? I know he wound up in San Diego, so I'll, I'll go with, the, I think he went to Toronto, Toronto, eh, after us. And then I believe he wound up with the Padres. Well, last team, National League team I remember him with is the Padres. I'll put it that way. Does Randy keep a clean sweep of 2023 going, or does Kyle slip in there with a strong showing and take down Randy Carricker in the new year? Ring that bell. Go crazy, folks. Go crazy. The winner and still champion of the fight, Randy Carricker. The fight is driven by mobile on the run. Join the on the run STL Wash Club for a limited time offer of $5 a month. Download the app today. Just win, baby. I'm so sorry, Kyle. You got three correct, but you heard Mr. Buck there, which means, of course, Randy got all four correct. A valiant effort in today's fight, Kyle. Oh, thank you, guys. Great job. Appreciate that. Kyle, thank you very much. Kyle got three. Randy got four, in case you missed any of those answers. The NFC team that most recently has set the record for consecutive NFC championship appearances with four is, in fact, the Philadelphia Eagles 2002, 2003, 2004, and 2005. Only three teams have done it. The Dallas Cowboys did it in the 70s and the 90s. How about them Cowboys? again, no team has done it since the Eagles did it in the early 2000s. On this day in 1974, the UCLA Bruins lost a game for the first time after 88 wins straight. It was, in fact, the Notre Dame Fighting Irish who beat them. And here's the thing the last game they lost before the 88 game win streak was also against the Irish back in 1971 a little secondary piece of factoid there, there as well Tory Holt was uh drafted six overall in 1999 but he was not the first first round wide receiver drafted by the St. Louis Rams it was in fact Eddie Kennison and uh, their second of two first round picks in the first round of that draft uh both skill position players Lawrence Phillips and then Eddie Kennison not 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 not, not, not great when you could have had Eddie George and Marvin Harrison yeah, oh man Happy birthday to two-time World Series champion David Eckstein. He won a world championship with the Angels, then a world championship and a World Series MVP with the Cardinals, and then he went to Arizona, but then he finished his career with the San Diego Padres. So again, Randy Carricker with a 4-3 win over Kyle. A close one, Kyle, but thank you so much for joining the fight. Thank you so much for joining the show. All right, thank you, guys. I thought it was that first question. And sometimes it'll get you. Yep, appreciate it. Good job. By the way, speaking of UCLA, and they had a great run with a lot of different players, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, then known as Lou Alcindor, was not allowed to play in his freshman year. That was a rule back mm-hmm. in the day. In his sophomore year, UCLA went 30-0. and In his junior year, UCLA went 29-1. and And in his senior year, UCLA went 29-1. and So, to put it all together, 90 games, 88 wins for Lou Alcindor, a.k.a. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in college. Is he the greatest basketball player in terms of winning in in basketball, just history. basketball history, gotta be. 
I mean, he won be. championships in high school. Mm-hmm. Obviously six in, in the NBA, right? <laughs> like, I mean, you don't you can't find, really find a, a guy that has won on the biggest levels as much as him. Yeah, he was amazing and dominant. Just in addition to being, you know, like, I don't think that Shaq was a really solid fundamental player, but he was the most dominant was, guy, yeah. right? Tim Duncan was way more fundamentally yeah. sound than Shaq, but Kareem had both. Yeah. He, he was fundamentally sound and he was dominant. Yeah, definitely. That's Kerry. That's Matthew. I'm Randy. Coming up next year on 101 ESPN, we're going to have our picks for the NFL Divisional Weekend coming your way on the opening drive. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. It is the Friday before the divisional round in the NFL playoffs. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and by the way, Kerry, it doesn't say like on baseball reference what number player you were mm-hmm. in the NFL. It has a weighted career average, and I have no idea what a weighted career average is, hmm. but you were 14,886th overall since 1960. Wow. You were one of the guys. I was one of them. All right. yeah. <laughs> Put me in Nobody there. Nobody else in this room can say that. <laughs> They'll say that. <laughs> so last year in the divisional round of the playoffs, it was pretty interesting because we were thinking after the first round that there would be a lot of success on the part of the the road teams, and it didn't. Well, it, it kind of did work out that way, but uh, not to the level that we thought. So this year. All four teams are favored. All four home teams are favored. And let's get things started with tomorrow. You've got the 330 game. You've got Jacksonville and Kansas City uh, scheduled for tomorrow. And uh, CD, I don't, uh, I, I, again, I keep looking for a way for, for Jacksonville to win this game because I kind of want them to. Yeah. But uh, I don't I don't know how it's going to happen. I, I mean, it would have to be, you know, catastrophic circumstances for Kansas City to turn the ball over, you know, kind of things to just fall into place. Jacksonville will probably have to play the perfect game in order to win that game in Kansas City, and and Kansas City will probably have to play their worst game of the year for it to happen. It just – it feels like it's so much more heavily favored on on Kansas City side because of what they've done, the history of of how they have played with Patrick Mahomes at quarterback, Travis Kelsey – we all thought that that when Tyreek Hill left, they were going to take a step back, and Patrick Mahomes was going to st- take a step back in mm-hmm, terms of right. who he's just throwing the ball to everyone. And Jarek McKinnon, I absolutely love what he's been doing out of the backfield. He's Thirty years old, he, they <laughs> he's done a, a fantastic job of of running the ball, catching the ball, and really finishing runs the right way. I, I'm liking what they're doing offensively, defensively. They've been sound, um, not giving up too many big plays, and so. I think it would just have to be like the perfect storm for Jacksonville to win this game tomorrow. I'm with you. And Kansas City's favored by nine. I wouldn't be surprised if Kansas City would would cover that number. Tomorrow night's game, we have a tendency to just glom on to the last thing we saw. We saw the Giants doing such a good job in Minnesota. Tend to forget how great Philadelphia was for 13 weeks before Jalen Hurts got hurt. Philly is favored by seven and a half in this one. And I I like Philadelphia at home. I do too. Uh, I I do as well. Um, You know, a healthy Jalen Hurts. He was in, in the MVP running when he was healthy the entire season up until those last few weeks when he got a, hurt his shoulder. That offense, the addition of A.J. Brown, it, it 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 has done wonders for that offense. It has allowed Devontae Smith to also be they, – they're, they're not really Batman and Robin. I know uh, 
AJ Brown calls himself Swole Batman. Well, <laughs> Devontae Smith is is also Batman. They are they are they are complement to one another, and then their running game does an outstanding job as well. Can Daniel Jones take care of the football? Can he find receivers? Can his receivers catch the ball and make plays afterwards? And and how do you get Saquon Barkley involved in this game? I think those are going to be the key factors if. Um, if New York has an opportunity to win this game, Saquon out of the backfield, running the ball heavily. You got the the zone run read with with Daniel Jones and Saquon, where you know Daniel can keep it in, pick up 10, 15 yards, and keep the chains moving. Those are going to be things that are going to have to help them win this game if they want to. Probably time of possession as well. You know, running the ball, keeping the chains moving, keeping the ball, keeping possession of the ball, so that that you don't give it back to this high powered offense in Philadelphia and allow them to go score points. So you got Philly as well. I got Philly as well. Um, the recipe for New York is going to be running the football, mm-hmm. clock management, taking care of time of possession, and not allowing that explosive Eagles offense on the field and having more possessions than they do. And how do you catch Jalen Hurts? I mean, he, he, he's you so good when the play goes off schedule, right? He does. He is, and and you know, it's a. Uh, He's just been he's been fantastic this year. I hope that the that the shoulder is all the way healed so we can see the best yeah. version of him so we don't see a, a you know a, a, a an injured version of him. I want to see the best players on the field tomorrow and if if Jalen Hurts is healthy and playing in the way he did earlier in the season, uh, Philadelphia should win this game. Kerry, the one upset that I could foresee this weekend is at Buffalo, where the Bengals visit the Bills. The Bengals are as we know, outstanding. Heck, they're a defending AFC champion. They went 12-4, and four, Buffalo 13-3. And, three. and I, I hate to do what they do at the mothership and boil it down only to the quarterback because both teams are really good. Both teams can play defense. One team is going to be more emotionally charged than the other, but it's going to be an emotionally charged game. But there are a couple of things I look at. Number one, I look at Cincinnati's ability to run the ball. Mm-hmm. And I think that they'll be able to at least do what they need to do to make play action effective. I think Mixon and Perrine will be able to do things enough in the running game to make Joe Burrow's play action effective. And two guys that you can't cover in this game, one for Buffalo is Stefan Diggs, one for Cincinnati is Jamar Chase. And I could absolutely see Joe Burrow not throwing any interceptions and Allen throwing an interception that changes the game. For me, this is the matchup of the weekend. Uh, you already know what Buffalo has gone through and, and the emotions and how how crazy that stadium is going to be on Sunday afternoon. But Cincinnati also is going to have their level of emotions as well. I mean, they they both were partaking in that game when that situation happened. And Joe Burrow is so calm, cool, collected. I don't know that I've ever seen him really press or have a moment where he looks out of sorts or worried or concerned, even early in the season when he was getting beat up. Mm-hmm. We we didn't think that we would see this version of the Cincinnati Bengals at all this year, the way that the beginning of the season started. They weren't protecting him. He was getting knocked around, and they figured some things out. Now, they do have some more injuries up front uh, on the offensive line, and we got to see if those guys are able to play, Jonah Williams being one. If he's unhealthy, it may be a long day for Joe Burrow. But all in all, he still does not have a a fear factor. He does not get rattled in the pocket. With that being said, I think that I I can't pick a winner for this game because I know the emotions for both teams are going to be so high. I read that um, that that T Higgins is going to try to speak with Demar Hamlin because he hadn't talked to him. He's talked to his family, but he hasn't seen him or talked to him. So I know that's going to be an emotional moment for both of those gentlemen and a, a great moment for both of them to to really hug and say, man, I love you. I'm glad you're healthy, bro. Don't worry about it. It wasn't your fault. All of those things are going to take place. Um, this is just going to be a great game to watch. Great. And I'm just going to sit down and watch it. <laughs> and one other thing here. We always talk about 
Micah Parsons and how he can wreck a day for you. Yep. Right? And he can. And we talk about defensive lines being able to neutralize Micah Parsons. You remember how the greatest show on turf, the Rams would, and Kurt Warner, would neutralize a great pass rush or a blitz? Throw the ball to 28. Yeah. And Brock, uh, yeah. Brock Purdy has the closest thing to 28 there is in the league. I'm not so sure that Micah Parsons is going to be able to wreck a game if Purdy can find Christian McCaffrey in the flat. Here's the here's the thing that alleviates all pass, uh, you know, the blitzes. If you mm-hmm. can dump it off to a back that can make a guy miss in space, it's going to be a problem. If you have linebackers trying to trying to cover athletic running backs, that is a problem. It is a mismatch. It's the same as if you try to put a tight end, uh, a linebacker on a tight end like George Kittle. Those are mismatches. Yeah. So when the when the quarterback can recognize where the blitz is coming from, get the ball to the player where the blitz just came from, now we're generally one-on-one with the defender. They have Debo Samuel. They have George Kittle. They have Brandon Ayuk. They have Trish, Christian McCaffrey. Jennings. All of pe- <laughs> Jennings. They have all the people so, that can make one man miss go and take it to the house. Because if you blitz, be, yeah. somebody's going to be open. And then conversely, on their on their defensive side, you got you got Bosa. You got Nick mm-hmm. Bosa. Randy, I want to ask you this. Would you take Micah Parsons or Nick Bosa? i take Nick Bosa. You would? I did. And I love I, Parsons. I, that, that is a flip of a coin for me. I, I think I love Nick Bosa. He is a, you know what he's going to do coming off the edge. You know where he's going to align. The thing that makes Micah Parsons so dangerous is he can go from DN to linebacker. You can you can put him in multiple places, and it it can confuse an offense, an offensive line, not knowing is he are we designating him as a defensive lineman on this play, or is he mm-hmm. designated as a linebacker? Because that changes how we're going to protect. If we're knowing he's a line a lineman, I know that line the offensive linemen are going to block him. If he's designated as a linebacker, well now maybe my running back has to block him, and those little details that can confuse an offense and cause uh, havoc for their for their um, pass protection. And with Dan Quinn, Parsons like you say, you never and for a young quarterback like Purdy, yeah. when you never know where he's going to be, I just think that Bosa is so physically dominant and especially because he's going to be going against Tyron Smith, right? Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a you talk about mismatches, I think that's a severe mismatch. One other point, when we watched Tampa Bay against Dallas, we saw Dal- Dalton Schultz do what he did. Uh-huh. Dalton Schultz is not going to do that against Fred Warner. I don't think so. Right? Fred Warner, it, there are highlights of him running sideline to sideline and, and, and inflicting pain on people. Yeah. He enjoys the aspect of running far and not just running to get there, but running to make sure you know I ran this far mm-hmm. and I'm going to hit you because of it. And he can cover a pass. Yeah. He can yeah. cover a guy, whether it's a tight end or a guy out of the backfield. So I like San Francisco in this game. They're favored by four, and I like them to cover. By the way, we mentioned last year, we all thought that it would be a sweep for the home teams last year. San Francisco goes into Green Bay, beats the Packers. The Rams go into Tampa, and Tampa forgets about Cooper Cup. Yep. And uh, the Rams win in Tampa. Cincinnati goes into Tennessee. Tannehill throws a big pick to allow Cincinnati to win that game. The only home team to win last year was in maybe the ga- best game in NFL history when yeah. Mahomes traversed, what, 45 <laughs> yards in 13 seconds and Kansas City knocked off Buffalo in overtime. That was a game that will go down in history as one of the best games. If, if, whoever had the ball last was going to win. Um, I, I, you may see something similar to to that this weekend against Cincinnati and Buff- with Cincinnati and Buffalo. That may be a game where they just are just slugfest going back and forth, and you know the best team will eventually come out victorious. That's Kerry. I'm Randy, and that is today's big thing on 101 ESPN. Next up. 
The great Greg Amzinger making his way to 101 ESPN. He'll join us in studio next hour here on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. Randy and Carrie break down the biggest story of the day on the opening drive. It's time for today's big thing. If you listen every week, you know that Greg Amzinger is on with us uh, every week from MLB Network. He is a St. Louis and attended Lindenwood University. And if you've listened for a long time to me, you know that Greg is one of my best friends. And uh, we always try to get together when he makes it to town. I don't get to New York enough. I have to do that. Uh, I, I've been remiss. We had a pandemic. <laughs> Always excuses with this. I I know, it's unbelievable. (laughs) But Greg is with us in studio in town to visit a friend who fell off a ladder. And uh, man, I I know the feeling of falling off a ladder. But uh, he's also made time to join us here in studio, which is great. And I, I, I love seeing you, man. Thank you. Yeah, we had fun last night. I, I, I FaceTimed with my wife this morning. She goes, you have a glow about you. And I go, I hung out with Randy Carriker last night. <laughs> I don't know what it is. He, he's so positive. He makes you feel good all night. And, and I, I thought to myself, well, last time I was here, I wore a, a hat. You remember that? Matthew, you remember that? You do. I don't know why you did that. And, and I saw the disappointment in all of your faces. Yeah, yeah. And I, and I was just picturing you guys going home, being like talking to your loved ones. Yeah, Amsinger was in the studio. How'd that go? He wore a hat. Oh. <laughs> you didn't see his hair. Yeah, so I, I tried to bring it a bit more today there you for go. you guys. Very impressive. Yeah, great, I tried Great to. head of hair. Great head of hair. Thank you. Yeah. It's the first time you see him in person. It is, it is. First time meeting in person. And, and you're very tall. I didn't know you were, I, you said you were tall, but I'm I didn't gangly know. gangly 6'5", yeah. 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 Very, very tall guy. Well, hey. What people don't understand is is on MLB Tonight, they drop my chair all the way to really? the ground and they boost Harold Reynolds <laughs> all the way up. How true. tall is Harold? Harold is about, he says he's 5'11", okay. which is not true. Not true. <laughs> we, we always fudge. Yeah, 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 yeah. We, we know how to fudge. I was six feet in, in college. Well, <laughs> you know what bothered me? Can I tell you what bothered me? In high school, uh, the, the, the program said 6'4", Greg Amsinger. And I go, why do we measure our heights with our shoes off? They're like, well, that's your real height. And I'm like, I've never played a basketball game barefooted. <laughs> I, I like 6'5". I walk around this earth and chat with people in public with shoes on, so I'm 6'5". There you go. I don't know why I'm sensitive about that. So Greg and I were together last night at the Lindenwood basketball game head dinner, and Greg was telling me that this is going to be perhaps the most historic year in the history of Major League Baseball. I Why? truly believe so. I think Ken Burns needs to make another part of his documentary <laughs> about 2023. And it has nothing to do with the teams that are competing, who I think is the favorite to win the World Series. It has everything to do with a clock associated with a sport that no one ever believed mm. a clock would be associated with it. And I, I've been a big fan of the pitch timer, is how they want me to use the, the term. The pitch timer for years, I've been a, a huge advocate for it. So and, let me stop here. So they want you to say something and you just say it? No. Yes. So terms, yes. certain you're, terms. You're okay with that. that. Okay. The pitch clock, I think, is aggressive. I don't know why they think it's aggressive. It's a pitch timer. Okay. So there's lingo. Now, my opinions are my own. I'm not on social media. So I don't like, you know, I get in trouble a lot, by the way. Last time I was on your show, when I talked about my contract, they did not like that I gave certain details. So it's amazing how many people hear me on this thing. I mean, John Mosellock, I'll be on the show, and I ruined John Mosellock's week. 
and he's come up to me and told me that. So I, I didn't know how much power I had, apparently. Uh, but anyway, getting back to the, the pitch timer, the pitch timer will change the way we watch the game. I was in Charlotte for the minor league broadcast, and they've been using all these rules. And to watch the pace of play, it's just dynamic, guys. I'm letting you know what is about to happen in baseball is just going to be transformative. If you if there was stock, if all the sports were stock, right? Well, obviously it'd be more expensive to buy stock in the NFL. It's the number one sport. Mm-hmm. We all know that. But you can buy baseball at a good price right now. If you're going to invest in a sport, hmm. obviously I'm in St. Louis right now talking to the hotbed of the sports. Everyone's like, duh, Greg. But across <laughs> the country, this is the sport to invest in because the pitch timer is about to change the game in so many good ways. Obviously, there has to be more action because we're going to have more pitches. But you said so many good ways. What good ways? What I never thought would be the the reality is it doesn't speed up pitchers as much as you think. Mm. It speeds up the hitter. Really? They think they're at bat, which they wait for, right? They get four of them, possibly, maybe, in a game. It's their coveted time on that baseball earth. And what I watched and witnessed is they're up there in a rush, mm. and they're, they don't want their at-bat to go away in a blink. Mm. So they're swinging. It's just the, <laughs> it's the reality. You're going to see it happen. So I saw ninth inning, and this is on the flip side of it, okay? Bullpenning, to me, has taken away the essence of the game. I used to be a kid that would wake up and open the newspaper and look at the starting pitching matchups, and then I would follow those games. I wanted to see the box score of those games. And like in present day, you know, Justin Verlander against Rodon, I, I got to watch that game, right? So that's gone away because bullpenning is such a big in vogue thing in the sport, which I can't stand. But what I watched in Charlotte, ninth inning, they bring in this lefty, uh, the kid Sousa for the White Sox, and he was in the minor leagues at the time. First pitch, 99. Second pitch, 99. Third pitch, it's a two-run lead, by the way. He's in the game trying to get the save. Third pitch, bomb, homer. Hmm. Now it's a one-run game. Well, that was surprising. He did not throw another fastball 95 miles an hour. The game sped up on him. It just sped up on him. Hmm. And, and you can hmm. see his heart rate go up. And he's his mechanics were thrown off. The pitch timer rushed him. Hmm. And look, at the end of the day, bullpen, bullpenning became in vogue because velocity was up. Spin rate was up. And these guys could just dead brain heave it as hard as they can. And you can miss location when you're throwing 100 miles an hour. But you can't miss location when you're throwing 95. That gets squared Mm -hmm. up. So the guys with pinpoint fastball command, you're going to see the spotters, the dotters, the glavins, the maddox, the Mm grankies, the wainwrights, those guys will be coveted. The the guys that can throw a fastball where they want it. They can throw the breaking ball and not hang it. And and then with the the base stealing, that's going to be more, more (laughs) popular because the bases are bigger and there are a limited number of times you can throw over. You're going to see guys get in their own heads and they're, what, what is the aftermath of great base? stealing. No one ever talked about this. I think Jack Clark could talk about this with all the guys who are running the bases in the 80s for the Cardinals. It leads to mistake pitches, mm-hmm. and no one ever talks about that. Vince Coleman and Ozzie Smith helped Jack Clark hit 35 home <laughs> runs in 1987. No and, and people don't ever view it that way, so the ball's going to be in play. I think you'll see more home runs, and it's your base, base stealing is going to be up. It's it's going to be an exciting brand of baseball. I can't wait to witness it. Well, you just hit my, my question right on the head, just the base stealing. How much more athleticism is going to be coveted as well? You're going to have guys able to run and be a part of the game, and, and you're going to need those guys because now you don't have a shift. you got to have guys that can move laterally and, and get to those balls that may be in the holes and in the gaps. 
I think it's going to be more athletes on in baseball as as it continues to grow. Uh, during the broadcast in Charlotte, uh, Theo Epstein was on the broadcast, and he's working for, in the league office. And so many of these rules, he's front and center, leading the, the charge on. These are, many of these are his ideas. And I asked him, as one of the great roster assemblers in baseball history, during his time with the Red Sox, the Cubs. If you knew that these rules were going to be a reality when you were assembling a Major League Baseball roster, would it have changed the way you would have gone about drafting, developing, free agency? He goes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. No doubt. The the leadoff guy that clogs the bases, well, you're just giving away <laughs> an aspect of the game that other teams are going to take advantage of. So I, I really believe that every team will have Two base stealers, mm. not just the random one guy that Whit Merrifield stole 35 mm-hmm. bags this year. Wow. I think you're going to see every team with two premier base stealers and possibly a third on the bench because it's going to be such a huge component of the game. I was shocked that Kenley Jansen got the, the, the deal he got with the mm-hmm. Red Sox because mm-hmm. he is so incapable of holding runners mm-hmm. and making base stealing easier. If people think these bases and the size of bases, that's not a big deal. It's a game of inches. <laughs> and when you mess with the inches, you give an advantage to someone else. Yep. So the bang-bang plays, those guys are safe now. It's going to be a huge aspect of the game. So half of the AAA teams, AAA ballparks in 2023 are going to have the, what do we call the the robot home plate? The, the Autom- Automated strikes. Automated zone. strikes. Zone. Yeah. Okay. So half of the ballparks will have that for a rule with a challenge. Half will have it where every single pitch is called, correct? Yes. That's, that, that's the way it's going to be. I would argue that if we get to a point where every pitch is called with a real strike zone by an automatic automated strike call that the three true outcomes are out the window when pit, when hitters can't go to the plate with a strike zone essentially from their belly button to their knee if the strike zone is where it's supposed to be which is the middle of your chest to the hollow of your knee you can't go to the plate planning to walk anymore it's going to that is that's right so i'm all excited about the pitch timer because that's 2023 mm-hmm. but i'm telling you right now the ball strike challenge that's where we're going it's eventually going to come is going to be the biggest rule change ever even bigger mm-hmm. than the pitch timer because what i witness and if it plays out the way it is playing out in the minor leagues it, it's not every pitch is called by the automated strike zone that's not the case if a batter chooses to challenge the call the home plate umpire immediately goes, the the pitch that was called a strike is being challenged. Everyone looks up to the big screen, and in the broadcast, you immediately go to, it's the same technology you see in tennis. Yeah, it's incredible. You yeah. don't wait t- 10 minutes to right. see whether or not the ball's on the line or not. Right. And then, boom, you see, actually, the home plate umpire was right. He's right, and you're out. Mm. And you wasted one of your three challenges. You get three faulty challenges each team does, but only the pitcher, the catcher, and the hitter can challenge it. And what we saw in the minor leagues this past year, many of the minor league managers would not allow their pitchers to challenge a pitch because they think everything they throw is a strike, okay? (laughs) So uh, there are going to be guys that the strategy involved here is going to be mind-boggling. Now, this isn't for 2023, but I just want a lot of people at home that are purists, and there are many of them in St. Louis. I've been chatting with them. They're not a big fan of the automated strikes and the human element's so good. It's great. It's great. Well, part of the human element, guys not swinging. Mm-hmm. And when you take the, when they're accountable for not swinging and they go into the dugout and they go, oh, he stole my bat from me. That home plate umpire. Well, wait a minute. No one feels bad for you anymore because yeah. we just saw yep. it was actually yep. a strike. Yeah. Right. So what's that going to do? It's going to make guys swing the bat, yep. which is what we want. And sadly, 
CB Buckner and Angel Hernandez are humans, right? <laughs> they they bring the human element, which is not necessarily always good. I'm fine without blown calls. I am too. I, I'm I mean, okay. Especially that? ones that that matter the most. Like the, those those are important. Important calls should be correct. They shouldn't. You, you shouldn't. If it's wrong and it costs someone a championship or or a perfect game, that those things should not ever happen. And so when they are, no. if you have someone, because you get it right, right? Get, get it, it right. right. If you pitch a perfect game, it, it changes your trajectory for life. Like it, yeah. it's not that many of those guys. So. Uh, uh, an apology doesn't help me. <laughs> hey, you want to apologize? Let's go back and make it right. The technology exists. <laughs> yes. Let's make sure we know who actually won the game. There you go. What's wrong with that? I, I, I don't miss blown calls. I don't miss collisions at home plate. And there are some people that do. Mm-hmm. Randy, do you miss collisions at home plate? Well, Brian Jordan. You know which one? You know Brian which, Jordan you know? for me. Well, for, for me, it was Jack Clark and Mike Sosha. The one that I thought was the most violent was Ray Langford and Darren Dalton. Oh, that yeah. one was. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah that Ray blew him That may be the one I'm thinking of. It might be Ray yeah. Langford. Not Bri- Brian yeah. Jordan had one, too, though. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. Both because uh, yeah. Yeah. Brian Jordan had one, but Ray so, Langford had whew, Oh, yeah. Ray Langford he was, was yeah. he was a dynamic athlete. Yeah. But that I just, look, Darren Dalton went through a lot. The late Darren Dalton catch yeah. with the Philadelphia Phillies. He was an important piece to that team. And when you want one of your best hitters to be your catcher, we need to keep those guys in the field. I'm okay with it. I, I, I don't miss the collisions. I really don't. The one part that I, I'm having a harder time with is second base, that you can't break up a yeah. double play. To me, that that's the part of, you know, second base, you have to have athletes there to watch Harold Reynolds get to the base and then do, and jump in the air and hang in the mm-hmm. air while a guy's barreling down on him and he throws a strike to first base. I miss that yeah, athleticism. And Marco Scudero, don't linger. The guy coming at you is 245 <laughs> pounds. Right? Get rid of the ball and get the hell out of there. I mean, that was really the moment. That, yeah, it was. And, and, yeah. and there was another moment in, in postseason play with Chase Utley. It was a dirty yeah, play. Yeah, right. Broke Tejada's, mess, right? Yeah, broke Tejada's leg. And, and that was another aspect, a, another moment in time that we were like, okay, we, we've got to help the players that are defenseless and that was what I didn't like about catchers here comes a ball being thrown from the outfield and they're waiting on it and they have to stare at it and they've got a little mitt so they got to catch it perfectly in this little mitt and they're staring and they're just a standing target that person should not be barreled over by a professional I agree with that but and you you can find it on YouTube (laughs) 1987 Jack Clark in LA just blows Mike Sosha up. I mean, he, and I don't even know if he was out or safe, but I remember the collision. But the story is, is that when Sosha gets back to the Dodgers training room in LA, they said, Mike, where are you? And he goes, Houston. <laughs> but I hate saying that Mike Sosha had it coming. But my, every time oh, Mike Sosha got blasted, he had it coming. He sat on the plate. Yeah. He openly right. admitted to that. And he, I mean, he was a, 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 a cannon of a yeah. guy. And he, he won as much as he lost in those battles, too, right? Yes, yes. He he did inflict pain on a lot yeah. of base runners, but he just didn't move. And and that's part of why the Dodgers loved him. He just wouldn't give up the play. I think the game is in a, is in a wonderful direction. I really, truly believe that. And and I am. I, I 
kind of view myself as of a, as a baseball purist. I miss the National League strategy. Not gonna lie, I do with the universal DH. I miss you know when do you pinch hit for the pitcher and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But I do think the game is in the right direction. I'm a purist who is excited about the adjustments. I'll put it that way. I, one question: you, the pitchers have a certain number of throws they can make over. After those, they've reached that limit. It, it's you can take off. No, you can. Throw, I mean, as a, you can throw over twice. Mm-hmm. If you throw over a third time, he, he, you better get him. Got you. Because if he, he gets awarded the next base. But I'm saying if you throw over so those two times, you can get him out on a third throw. Okay. Over. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You, but you got to get him out. You got to get him out. Okay. Greg Amzinger is here in studio. Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker. Coming up, we're going to play a little stud or dud with one of the Cardinals next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the opening drive podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. I am feeling strong in the weight room right now. You know, <laughs> like I said, you know, my, my training's just it's taken it's just taken off this year and I'm just so happy to have been able to use my resources here in St. Louis and um, you know, propel myself forward to, to that spot that I needed to be. And again, like I, I really believe in what I'm doing right now. The, the workouts have taken a whole new dynamic. Uh, they're longer and, and more intense than ever before. And again, like I believe in it and it's great. Cardinal outfielder Tyler O'Neill, who two years ago played in 138 games, had 34 homers, 80 RBIs, and a 9-12 OPS. Last year, he only played in 96 games, 383 plate appearances, hit only 228 with a 700 OPS. So our question, stud or dud for Tyler O'Neill, Greg Amsinger, MLB Network lead anchor here, Kerry Davis, Randy Carricker, and Greg, since you are the guest. Oh, Tyler O'Neill, stud or dud? Oh, stud, 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 <laughs> big stud. And there are very few players in the sport that you could dream on a 40-40 campaign. Very few that have the ability to do that. This guy has the ability to do that, realistically, if he plays an entire year. And what's exciting about the Cardinals is pound for pound, I believe he has the most physical gifts on the team, on the roster, among position players. I truly believe he's the most physically talented player they have. On the mound, the most physically talented player they have is Jack Flaherty. Mm -hmm. The Cardinals had, I still view 2022 as a magical year with everything Mm -hmm. that went down. They went to the playoffs, the the pools, yada, yada, yada. It was awesome. But the most physically talented position player and the most physically talented pitcher really didn't contribute all that much Mm -hmm. to a magical year. So I think Tyler O'Neill will be back. He is a stud, and he's going to remind people how much of a stud he is. Do you have any concern? Because he also said in the in the clip, I don't know if it, not this one, but he's still doing his powerlifting regimen. And and I was telling these guys at some point, the older you get, your body, your joints are going to tell you, hey, enough is enough. Um, do you think there's a point where he's going to have to get away from that powerlifting regimen and and more yoga, more stretching, more flexibility, as opposed to you know putting 600 pounds on a squat rack and getting down as deep as you can and getting Back up. It's fascinating. I think it's a great topic. At what point do we let athletes be who they want to be? I, you, so I was telling them when I was in college, I lifted, I squatted with the O line and D lineman. I was 600, 700 pound squatter at 20, 20 years old. And there was one day my, 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 my strength, yeah, my, my strength <laughs> and conditioning coach patted me on the back after a set and said, Hey, you're done. Excuse me? He said, Don't go anymore because I was still, I'm 20. I could still go higher. 
And he knew at that point, that's enough. You don't have to get to 800. You don't have to get to 850. You probably could, but why? And so, and and I thank him because I have knee pain today and hip pain. And all of those things are associated with deep squats, heavy weight. And so you have to have someone that taps you on the shoulder and says, hey, okay, buddy, you're strong. (laughs) We get it. (laughs) That's enough. You don't need to prove it. You don't have to do any more. So I connect so many players, especially in baseball, to the Otani rules. And when Shoei Otani arrived, he had his own unique workout regimen and how he wanted to pitch, when he wanted to pitch, and when he wanted to play. And the Angels kind of Americanized him. And it took Joe Madden to fight the front office and go, let this unique athlete do what makes him happy. It's between the ears that matters more than yeah. the body. Yeah. And the one-size-fits-all workout regimen, Tyler O'Neill, really, now, how about you and, and Lars Newtbar? You guys guy could go over here. But like, come on, man. Tyler O'Neill is a completely different specimen of an mm-hmm. athlete. There's no one that he can work out with on that team because he's just unique. He's stacked. He's ripped. He's part of his family lineage. Whatever between the ears makes Tyler O'Neill happy, let him go do that. Yeah. Let him go be happy because that the mental side of the game is so overpowering right now. And this one size fits all approach to roster performance to me has got to go out the window. So with O'Neill's gifts, you're right. He's in terms of physical gifts. He leads the team right now. Maybe for a month, though. You did the draft when Jordan Walker was selected. You yeah. follow, you know what's going on. You talk to minor league experts all the time. What are you, uh, give us your honest assessment. What are you hearing about Jordan Walker? I think he's a corner outfielder. He'll probably be the right fielder of the Cardinals at some point this year. He's not going to break camp because they want to control, even though they benefit now. Teams get you know extra compensation for bringing up a prospect who ends up panning out. But they still roll the dice on control. No matter what compensation you give teams, controlling a young talent that you think is going to be part of the heart and soul of your organization, you're going to try to do that. I think he's the starting right fielder opening day 2024. I think he's going to be a Cardinal for a long time. He's a super talent, uh, easy power, loves to play. He, the character assessments that people give are this is this is one of those franchise type players. Tyler O'Neill still has a lot of those characteristics. And if you can have two of them, if you can have two of them in the outfield, that's a good thing. So game one of the playoffs from among O'Neill, Carlson, Newtbar, Walker. Who's your starting three in the outfield? I still think Dylan Carlson is a super talent, and I'm not going to back off him. Uh, His confidence needs to go high. Mm -hmm. What I loved about the Cardinals' approach was not benching him. He played a lot. He played a lot of games. He got a lot of at bats, and and we're just we're spoiled with so many of these these can't miss prospects playing like an all star from day one. It doesn't happen normally. No, just look back in in different eras. It's it's a very difficult thing to do. He is unique. Let they, me give you a stat. He played his third year this year. Came up in twenty twenty one twenty two. Played his age twenty four season. Okay. Aaron Judge came up at twenty five. Yes. Made his major league de- debut mm-hmm. at twenty five. Yes. So let's just like curb our enthusiasm on, all right, he's a dud. Dylan Carlson's a dud. Let's move on. I, I, I look at talent, and I want the most talented players in the outfield. And I, you know, I think Newt is a terrific kid, and he's got a high upside too. But if if, if you forced me to pick three, I'm going to go with the three most talented based on a scouting scout's perspective and a, a experienced scouting eye. It would be O'Neill, Carlson, and Walker and Wright. So we were having this discussion the other day and we were talking about the Cardinals and their payroll and you know we've seen astronomical numbers going out to players the last couple of years. Is Jordan Walker 
if if everything pans out in the manner, yeah, yeah I see you smiling. If yeah. everything pans out in the manner in which uh, we expect it to, is he that first Cardinal that gets that 10-year, 250, 13-year, $300 million deal and gets to stay in a Cardinal uniform? Randy and I were having this uh, conversation as we were parting ways. Randy drove me back after the, the game. He's such a gentleman by doing that. <laughs> By the way, my wife goes, it looks like you and Randy had a cute time last night. <laughs> and I go, like, you know, yeah, we had a cute time. I remember a day when I would hang out with my buddies, and she'd be like, okay, do you have your wallet? <laughs> you, you better not be hung over, because we got to go do this, this, and this today. But she's like, you and Randy had a cute time. But anyway, before a cute time ended, Randy goes, uh, you know, I, I wonder if the Cardinals are going to start having the Atlanta Braves approach yeah. to locking up some of their young players. And this group that they have with the young pitching talent that's on the horizon as well, you can make a case that John Mosellock and his group reassesses the way they do normal business because that's not how the Cardinals operate. Right. But this is a unique talent in Jordan Walker, and I think he could be the first of a trend mm-hmm. in St. Louis. Be good. I'm with you. If you agree? I agree. Yeah. I, See, I always stare at Randy because you know sure. I'm still intimidated. <laughs> you know, I remember being. Oh, I'm intern, an intimidating Greg. guy, Greg. And, uh, and being in the same studio with him, I was like, I can't believe I get to talk on a microphone right now. You know, <laughs> when I'm at home and I'm doing the radio interviews with you guys, I don't see Randy, but I'm having flashbacks to being the board <laughs> operator and Randy looking at me like, "Are you saying something stupid?" <laughs> what was that experience like? Working, working for for Randy. Oh Carrick. my goodness! You know he, he he the culture of how I go about my job today, and we all we all are culture providers. We might not know that, but wherever you work, whatever you do for a living, if you walk into the building and people are happy to see you, you're you're giving positive energy mm-hmm. to this earth. You're helping society. Randy, as, at a young age, obviously a huge fan of his. When I was a kid, listened to all of his you know wit and knowledge. He, he mastered the internet before any anyone else did on sports talk radio so he could look stuff up in a heartbeat and I thought he was a magician I didn't know I did it and when I witnessed it in in person and watched him go about his deal on the air that's one thing but the way he treats people is just five notches above the normal person so that was the biggest impact on me and and to watch it at a young age and now to go and have my own "Quote unquote" radio station at MLB Network, where I I feel like it's my own place, my mm-hmm. shop. I get to go hang out, and I want to bring joy. I want to make people laugh at work, yeah. and that's what he was able to do for a long time. Thank you, I, I appreciate he's that. He's still doing it to this day. Yeah, he still does, <laughs> but it's intimidating. It is because if you're talking into a microphone and you're 19, 20, or however old I was, you don't want to say something factually incorrect. And, 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 and he he he. Communicates through his eyebrows. A lot of people yeah. don't know that. <laughs> really? <laughs> he no idea. Through his eyebrows. He'll let you know. All right, shut up. I'm ready to talk now. Just through one eyebrow raise. <laughs> I had no idea. I'm 60 years old and I just find this out now. I got to work on that. Give me something new to work on. Don't work on it. It's great. <laughs> I know when to show up. Please yeah. don't yeah. need. Not verbal cues are important. <laughs> Greg Amzinger in studio with the opening drive. Coming up, we had that conversation about Cardinal payroll and how effective cardinal ownership is. We're going to ask Greg to give us a 5,000-foot view because he sees all of the franchises and knows what they're doing. So we're going to ask him about cardinal ownership and the way they approach their business next on 101 ESPN. You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. All right, we're going to spend like about seven minutes here with Greg just talking about how the Cardinals do in terms of 
allocating the resources, the revenues that they have. Last weekend, Bill DeWitt Jr. said the Cardinals are 12th in revenue and 12th in payroll. And a lot of people don't buy that they're 12th in revenue. We know that they're, they're, they were 12th in payroll last year. How do you feel the Cardinals do in terms of allocating their resources relative to the rest of Major League Baseball? Well, I think what you have to remind yourself, and it's a difficult thing to do when you live in the hotbed of the sport, which is St. Louis to me, is this is still a mid-sized market. It, it is. And I know it pains Cardinal fans to watch the New York Mets spend what they spend, to watch the Yankees, to watch the Dodgers, to watch the Phillies, to watch their larger markets. There are more humans that are absorbing the product. Now, while the percentage of humans in this market absorb the product at a record level, and, and there's just there's more of a passion for the sport here than there are than there is in other markets, bigger markets. It's still a numbers game and it's always going to be a numbers game. And until that changes, you can't assume that the Cardinals are going to be a top five um, payroll team. It's just it's not the way it works. They are getting the absolute most out of this market size that you possibly could get. The fans support it, and all of you listening right now help guys like Nolan Arenado get in a Cardinal uniform and, and keeping Paul Goldschmidt and Adam Wainwright waiting to play his entire career. Having the fandom here helps front office and ownership lock these guys up but it is a it's a more unique balance than people think you can't go well the philadelphia phillies are doing this why can't we go sign everybody it's not the same thing the cardinals are operating from a business standpoint at the highest level you would expect them to two things number one every week during the season i get an email Come and see the Cardinals for $5 or $6 or $7. Do Mets and Yankees fans get those emails to come and see the Mets? Oh. For- <laughs> okay. Yeah. I, I, I was just wondering. Yeah, that doesn't happen. <laughs> no. At all. Okay. And then the other one is the outlier and the, the one that Cardinal fans are really upset about is the Padres. But that guy is probably losing money. Peter Seidler wants to bring the first championship to that city ever has multi-billions like Bill DeWitt does, but he's not treating it as a business. He's treating it as a hobby. Yes. And when we're comparing a a business in Cardinal baseball that has been a well-oiled machine for 100 years. I mean, this is they know how to make a winner. It's it's part of the history. It's the fabric of the organization. Yes, there were some lean decades, but there's an, an established uh, bar that has been set by this ownership group, the ownership group before this ownership group, that if you if you are owning the St. Louis Cardinals, you can't go five years without a playoff appearance. And they have stepped on the gas at the right level to where they don't run out of gas. And they're still driving with all the big boys in the sport. So, yes, you have fans that are owners right now. And that's what's happening with the New York Mets in San Diego. But the Cardinals have an established product that they don't need this sense of urgency in how they're spending money. They just don't. I know Cardinal fans want them to have a sense of urgency with their wallets, but they don't need to operate that way. Well, I was saying earlier this week and and over the last couple of weeks, they probably don't feel the need to go out and spend money on a on an ace or an outfielder because you have an ace in in, in Jack Flaherty who is under contract and you're going to be able to pay him much less. You have a an outfielder who is a top ten MVP candidate when healthy in Tyler O'Neill. You got Jordan Walker coming up. So those are 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 people or players that you have on the roster in the organization that you don't necessarily have to go out and spend uh, an absorbent amount of money. But I think the frustration for Cardinal fans is when you hear John Moselock say, 
our payroll is going to increase in the 2023 season and you're not seeing a a, a large jump. I mean, if you increase it $1 million, yeah, that's an increase. But if, we're, if you're telling me we're going to increase it, you're thinking 20, 25, $30 million of an increase as opposed to maybe five or $10 million. And I think that uh, is potentially where the frustration comes in for Cardinal fans. Before they spend money, they ask themselves, do we have to? Yeah. Do we have to? Do we have to go out to eat tonight? I mean, Steve Cohen is apparently going to a steakhouse (laughs) every single night. But if you go to a steakhouse every single night, your cholesterol is eventually going to get to you. (laughs) Right? The sodium intake is astronomical. The Cardinals are going, well, wait a minute. We went went to a steakhouse three nights ago. We've got leftovers. We can make a terrific dinner. Let's let's eat at home. Mm Mm-hmm. And when you're watching the big boys go out to steakhouses every night, I understand what fans see. And they want the excitement of the press release. Well, guess what? The, that press release lasts only so long. And then in four years, the Minnesota Twins are going, did we do the right thing by giving all this money to Carlos Correa? Hmm. Was the shin and the le- the ankle really a problem? It's fun to win. It's fun to hmm. win the big, big free agent. But when it doesn't work, that's not the headline anymore. No one remembers the headline of signing him. By the way, not that the Cardinals did have luck in trading for Barcelo Zuna. What would have happened if they would have gotten Stanton? Oh, my God. And they were taking on the whole contract. <laughs> it's a gigantic contract. $300 million deal. He was the first to get it. And if they take on the money, and that's what they were trying to do. The Giants wanted to absorb the entire thing. He said no to St. Louis and San Francisco. This. I still like Giancarlo a lot. He's got easy power, but the swing and miss and the gaps in his in his strike zone the are injuries. so massive. His inability to play the field at a high level defensively, he's not the defender, not even close that Aaron Judge is. We compare the two because of their size. He can't mm-hmm. play the outfield like Aaron Judge. He doesn't move like Aaron Judge. So, yeah, it, it, that would have held them back. They wouldn't have gotten Goldschmidt and Arenado. I mean, or Albert Pujols. If if they would have kept Albert the entire time he was an angel and he was a Cardinal, it would have have been the Joe Maurer deal of the St. Louis Cardinals to keep a player that held you back financially if they would have kept Albert Pujols. He's one of my favorite players of all time. I would have rather lost with him than win without him (laughs) because I'm just that kind of a guy. But financially, they made the right decision. And I think we just need to start recognizing John Mozeliak's good at this. I saw somebody walking back uh, because after Randy and I had a cute time last night, <laughs> I decided to go walk to an establishment on Main Street, St. Charles called Tuners. It was a really fun place. Live music was great. But as I was leaving that establishment, that, uh, AKA karaoke. You no, know, karaoke, yes, of course. College. I just I had to go just have a you know, walk down memory lane in college. This guy standing outside and he goes, Hey, man, love you, but what you said last week about Mosaic was ridiculous. And I'm like, What are you talking about? And he goes, The whole Mosaic's going to Cooperstown. Stop with that. And I go, no, he is. I'd be like, hey, hey, come on, no, he can't. He's only won one championship. He won that with Walchak and these guys. Like he's going off yeah. on me. And I go, God, look at the, the GMs that are in the Hall of Fame and compare their winning percentage to John Mosellock. Uh, just assume, how often do you get someone that's been in one job for such a long time and you still don't think he's an expert? Like if there was yeah. a chef that keeps winning awards and he makes the greatest steak and you go, I don't know if he knows how to cook a at what point does someone become an expert? And isn't John Mosellock an expert at his job? Can't we assume he is now? Or do we still think we would do a better job than John Mosellock at putting a roster together? I know you're in your car right now going, Hell yeah, I would, Greg. It's amazing. Uh, Greg, okay, and we're going we're gonna to go over here. Okay. And remember what I said about facts Yeah, earlier? Uh, 
Did Walt Jockety bring in Ryan Terrio? This is Game 7, 2011. Did Walt Jockety bring in Ryan Terrio? No. Uh, did he bring in Jason Mott? No. Did he bring in Alan Craig? No. Okay, so he had pools. Did he bring in uh, Lance Berkman? No. Uh, did he bring in David Freeze? <laughs> no. Did he bring in Daniel Descalso? No. Uh, we'll give him credit for Yachty. Did he bring in Raphael Fercal? No. Did he bring in Skip Schumacher? And he did not. Uh, he did bring in Chris Carpenter into that game. Uh, did he bring in Arthur Rhodes? No. Octavio Dotel? Not the, no one in the bullpen. Lance Lynn, Chase Mar- <laughs> Why do people think that that was Walt's guy? Were they not watching? Were they not watching the games? Were they not watching the World Series? Is that the first time you've heard someone say that? No, I've heard it a lot. It's yes. stupid. <laughs> it makes no sense. No. So I just he's an expert at doing this, and and sometimes I, I've been critical of some decisions he's made. I have openly have, um, but I. I pick my spots because I know probably he's right. Yeah. He's probably right. He's an expert at this, people. We're going to give a couple of minutes to Greg to, to talk to Matthew about basketball, see if he can talk some sense into him. <laughs> oh, no. Coming up on 101 ESPN. <laughs> You're back to the Opening Drive Podcast on 101 ESPN. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers. So, CD, start the basketball conversation. All right. So, as I told you, Greg, we had a conversation last week where Rock said something so absurd that we we had to put a poll together to ask St. Louisans if they thought that his basketball takes were absolute trash. He told me that Kobe Bryant isn't isn't top ten. He he might oh. be top fifteen. Oh no, probably top twenty five, but top fifteen, I'll give it. And and it the whole show almost stopped. <laughs> I, 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 I almost left and didn't come back. <laughs> it was it was enough for me to walk out. It was it was one of those moments that I deep down in my core, I, I'm not one of my core principles, and he just struck a nerve, <laughs> and I was I was done. Is it okay if I ask him? Please, why yeah, man, please he thinks do. Kobe is not a top ten. That, that might not be the most absurd uh, take he has, oh, but have no. that one. I just I have Kobe just outside. My main reason for it is is that <laughs> as great as Kobe was, Kobe was the number one most dominant player in the NBA at the most. Twice in his career, for and during a season, he mm. was the most dominant player, and so I think that takes it apart. I'm also of, of part of the. I also feel like Shaq is one of the most dominant players, but we don't. But people never put him in the top ten, and I think I honestly think at their peak point of dominance, I think Shaq was a more dominant player than Kobe. So I even I, I have Shaq at twelve, I have Kobe at eleven, but even that part I have I, I wonder, and so that makes me move Kobe down a little bit. Further to, like I said, 10, 11, Before 12. You go, That's Greg. my main argument about Kobe. An let me, incredible let me, player. Let me an incredible some, career. Let me add some context to this. He also said of his five championships that, that Kobe won, he was the best player one time. Said Pau Gasol was actually better oh, than no. him. Yeah, that's... <laughs> he said one of the championships, Pau was actually the better player. And I, which my response was, there's never been a day in Pau Gasol's life that he's been a basket, better basketball player than Kobe Bean Bryant. Pau Gasol would argue with you. Tony Bean would be living with you. You're right, he would be. He would be. Tony, that wasn't the worst thing. I, I, I live with this every day. So here's my answer. I have a, a daughter. She's a sophomore at Colorado College. She plays Division Three basketball. Super talented player in high school. Had a great high school career in New Jersey. She's coming off the bench and she doesn't know why. 
Do you know why she's coming off the bench? Because she doesn't love playing defense. Oh. So my daughter has finally done the heel-to-heel drill back and forth. When she practices by herself, she doesn't have a ball in her hands. Damn. If you understand basketball and you truly get it, what happens when you don't have the ball is equally as important as when you yep. do. And Kobe Bryant, and I tell her to watch video of Kobe Bryant playing defense, his defensive tenacity puts him closer to the top five that, than yeah. it does even him worrying about being in the top ten. The way he played defense is historic, and that, to me, sets him apart from so many of the players that you would consider putting in front of him. Does the defense put him ahead of Larry Bird in your all-time? Yes. Wow. Okay. See, that's... Kobe Bryant, that's to me, a- is ahead of Larry Bird. And I love Larry Bird. Watch go. the 30 I for 30 that. on the Redeem team about Kobe's defense and his intensity and his desire to play great defense. Who was it that he shut down? Um, um, he flattened him on the first play of the game. It was Powell. Yeah, it was his team. It was, it was, it was in, in the game. Yeah, just set a screen. Set a screen and just like yeah, because yeah, he let yep. them know that's my teammate in the states in L.A. But here, I don't yeah. know this guy, and, and, he, <laughs> and he, he ain't yes, better yeah. than me at yeah, basketball he, 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 ever. And he told, he told, he told <laughs> all of his teammates, "I want him," and had him all night, and he was a blanket. There you go. That's a good point. Kobe Bryant is, you know, there's this uh, characteristic they have for the way they describe players. They love to compete. You hear that all the time because there's it, basketball's different than baseball. It's different than even football. It, 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 you're on a stage. You don't have a helmet on. You don't have a hat to cover your face. You don't have a catcher's mask on. You are a movie star on that stage, and everyone's watching your facial expression when someone scores on you. The trash talking. No one loved to compete more than Kobe other than Michael Jordan, who was his idol. And those two were just unique. As we say goodbye to Greg Amzinger, one of the reasons that I have so much admiration for Greg and for Joe Buck is because they sign contracts for a whole lot more money to work a lot less. (laughs) (laughs) They'll be great agents, Randy. (laughs) But you will be there for the Hall of Fame, right? Hall of Fame announcements? Yes, does Scott Rowland make the Hall of Fame this year? I do believe he does. Good. Yes, I'll be hosting that show. I, I say it every year. It's one of the most nerve-wracking shows I ever do because I host the show, and Bob Costas is on the show. <laughs> the greatest sports studio host of all time is not hosting. So he's listening Actually, to everything they're telling me, and I have to host Greg, it. So it's a big deal. He is hosting. <laughs> well, the greatest studio host of all time is hosting. Oh, hey, stop. Yeah. Stop. No, 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 no. I, I'm a flashy guest, and I, I'm just a fan with a microphone. That's all I try to do. You're the best. Thank you, Always guys. Always good to see you. Thanks for catching up. It was a blast. Up. This was awesome. That's the great Greg Amzinger, lead anchor for MLB Network, product of the Lindenwood University. And, of course, he is uh, from St. Louis, so that's very important. We, we, we thank Greg for being here. Great job by our producer engineer, the one and the only Matthew Rocchio. Pleasure. CD. Amen. CD's going to be out next week coaching some ball. Yeah, I'll be at the. I'll be in LA coaching the NFLPA game. Have fun with that. Have a good time. Awesome. Yep. Yeah, uh, Brooke Grimsley will be in. Alexa will fill in a couple of those days. And we thank you for tuning in, texting in, and being a part of the show for all of us. Until to, uh, Monday morning at seven. Have a great weekend, St. Louis. You've been listening to the Opening Drive podcast on 101 ESPN and ESPN.com. Presented by Dobbs Tire and Auto Centers.